Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. The Ben Jarofsky Show starts now. Loves this song. It is Thursday, March 28th, and live from the Chicago Sun Times, Chicago Reader Studio on Racine Avenue. Oh, uh, yeah. This is the Ben Jarofsky Show. Today on the program, it's Kathy Cheney of the Chicago Sun Times. It's the return of the union man, Ryan Kelly. And we welcome Steve Lester of the Chicago Symphony Orchestra. And now your host, oh, not a member of an orchestra. I don't think he plays any instruments. Chicago, he plays good air instruments. Chicago Reader columnist, Ben Jarofsky. Yeah, hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Look the Other Way Thursday. And here's why. Well, I got up this morning at the crack of 8.30. Oh, all right. It's really early for you. <laughs> Rise and shine. Cock-a-doodle-doo. And what did I find? An email from on my AOL account addressed to my wife from the tea party. All right, let's break that one down, starting with, yes, indeed, it was 8.30 in the morning, and that is early for me because, man, I live those Robert Plant-like, Mick Jagger-like, Keith Richards-like rock star hours, even though I am the thing farthest from being a rock star. Yeah. Uh, up late, <laughs> up late to bed late. Yep, that's my, but nope, didn't happen today. You know why? Because there was a construction crew working on the train tracks right outside my door, my uh, bedroom. <laughs> that's what the jackhammer's going, D. Usually uh, my morning begins with a f- uh, phone call from young Dennis, the producer. Hey, wake up. <laughs> that's not really what I say. <laughs> Time to do a radio show. But today it was the jackhammer's. <laughs> Anyway, it's a podcast. Oh yeah, you're right. Uh, what? <laughs> you're right. It's time to do a podcast. That's what he says. Thank folks. you. He used to say radio show, but that was in a, di- a distant age. Anyway, back to the tea party email. All right. Yes, I get. Would right- that be a tea mail? One pill makes you larger. Anyway, back to the tea party tea mail. I uh, I get regular emails from the tea party. Not sure why or how they found their way to my AOL account. And yet they come all the time. And here's the funny thing. They're addressed to my wife. Not sure why they address emails sent to my account to my wife. But it kind of makes me wonder about the accuracy of Tea Party emails if they can't even get my name right. Mm -hmm. Anyway, today's Tea Party email says, hold on, got to call it up. Breaking news from the Tea Party. Soros spent $408,000 on campaign for radical attorney Kim Fox. 
who just let Jussie Smollett walk on hate hoax charges. Read the latest now on TeaParty.org. Oh my God! All right, let's let's just let's just break this down. Went down. They are linking George Soros to Jussie Smollett. Soros is the billionaire hedge fund guy who donates to liberal causes. The right wing hates him even worse than I hate Beats, and I really hate Beats, D. Jesse Smollett is, of course, the actor who fabricated a hate crime uh, for <laughs> uh, regarding uh, two apparently fictitious MAGA hat-wearing thugs, and then he got off the other day with a slap of the wrist, <laughs> thanks to a questionable decision by state's attorney Kim Fox. And yes, Soros donated to Kim Fox's campaign, according to the Tea Party. Well... He sort of did. The uh, the Tea Party uh, has a link to guess who their sources? D Breitbart. Okay. Oh, <laughs> they're going to best- everyone's crazy uncle's <laughs> crazy uncle's favorite website. Breitbart investigation uh, did their little deep dive. As soon as they saw Jesse Smollett, they're like, "How can we link him to George Soros? Let's figure this one out." And so it turns out that George Soros, follow me on this, people gave money to one of those super park. What are they? Super PAC dark fund. I mean, we got to get rid of it. We need fine. We need campaign finance reform, people. We, we need, need it. Super bad. parks. Super park sounds fun. <laughs> Wait, what is that show called? What? Uh, North Park, right? I don't know. Yeah, I know. Anyway, anyway, so they donated to a super PAC, and that super PAC uh, helped pay some of the strategic costs of Kim Fox's campaign. Apparently, they paid some of the campaign strategists that uh, helped her uh, win election in 2016. So that's how the Tea Party and Breitbart connect George Soros to Jesse Smollett. Got it? All right. Here you go. That's what they did. You know, I knew it was only a matter of time before they dragged George Soros into this one. Anyway, it's all part of a larger campaign to undercut the credibility of anybody who dares to criticize Trump like he, Donald Trump, is the victim of a smear campaign engineered by a well-orchestra chorus of liberals and socialists and deep state operatives, all sponsored by the evil George Soros. Meanwhile... Not one word about the Mueller report. You remember the Mueller report? That was the investigation in Trump's ties to Russia, potential collusion, obstruction of justice, all that kind of stuff. 300 pages of an investigation hidden in the desk drawer of Attorney General William Barr. Actually, I don't know if it's in his desk drawer, but he's hiding it somewhere. He hasn't released it, hasn't revealed what's in the report. Just a letter that says, well, no no reason to look any further, folks. That's apparently good enough for the Tea Party and Donald Trump, all the Republicans. You know, way back in the dinosaur era when I got started in journalism, I had a publisher and editor named John McDermott. That That was the man who taught me this business. And he said, we have to pursue the truth no matter where it leads. So yesterday, there I was hammering away at Kim Fox. And her office for the questionable behavior in the Jesse Smollett case, absolutely. Meanwhile, where was the Tea Party in regards to the Mueller report? Where was Breitbart in regards to the Mueller report? Where was the Republican Party in regards to the Mueller report? They want the truth told when it fits their political agenda. And when it doesn't, just lock the report in the desk drawer of Attorney General William Barr and look the other way. 
We got a great show today, everybody. Kathy Cheney will be here, managing editor, deputy managing editor, I should say, of the Chicago Sun-Times. So we'll be talking politics, politics, politics. Oh, that sounds like a pretty big title. I'll clean the studio up. Yeah, let's get that. Throw that away, oh, would sorry, you? Sorry. Sorry. Yeah, some bagel wrapper that's been lying around here. You know this place starts to get trashy. Uh, Ryan avocado and cheese. <laughs> Dust everywhere oh, now. God, I can't wait. The avocado and cheese at the end of the show. He loves avocado and cheese sandwiches, guys. Uh, Ryan Kelly will be here for not Aerosmith, okay, D? Yeah. All right, Aerospace. Go. Got that straight? Walk this way. Oh, he's such a rock star, guys. Uh, we got so much union news to talk about and uh, uh, with Ryan Kelly. And then uh, more union news, or at least labor news, Steve Lester from the Chicago Symphony Orchestra. They've been on strike now for a couple of weeks. Uh, he'll be coming in the studio to talk about the strike. They did a concert the other day at the Chicago uh, Teachers Union and uh, got a nice write-up in the Chicago Tribune. Uh, and so the Symphony Orchestra is on strike. Come on, folks. Got to take care of the symphony orchestra. You can't have the symphony orchestra on strike. So we're going to bring uh, Steve Lester on. 41 years he's been playing for the orchestra. D. Whoa. The guy knows everything there is to know about Chicago Symphony Orchestra. So I'm looking forward to that conversation. A lot of political talk ahead of us. We got Miles, the editor, in the studio, ready to rock and roll. But Miles is here. Always always a better show when Miles is here. Trust me, Miles. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Good call. Uh, and, I'm uh, running around like a madman when Miles isn't here. <laughs> oh, they're outside? Okay, running outside. Grab. Oh, I forgot my badge. Oh, uh, let me... no. I think it's crazy. Miles is the man. Four for ten over the weekend, by the way. I should just point that out. The star third baseman for the Roosevelt uh, University baseball team. <laughs> Hit a triple, should have been a home run. Let's not discuss the running of the base pass by, by young Miles. <laughs> anyway, Miles is here. It's always better when Miles is here. And uh, now time of day for the doctor. Take that deep dive in the news. What you got for me, young man? Hey, everybody, it's the middle of the day. Let's talk about the national news happening this afternoon. Yeah, our president is bonkers per usual. <laughs> After the conclusion of the Robert Mueller Russian investigation, an idea has been floating around the Republican ether lately, Ben. Ooh. Yeah, I know. Uh, pardoning Donald Trump's former national security advisor, <laughs> General Michael <laughs> Flynn. Yeah, that was the question posed uh, to the president during a 45-minute phone interview whoa. with Fox News host and Donald <laughs> Donald Trump lover number one, Sean, a.k.a. Seanald J. Hannity. <laughs> That's good, Sean. Yeah. I like that. Before we go any further, uh, let's throw it over to you. Okay. Pardoning Michael Flynn. <laughs> Think we should do it? Uh, no, not negativatory. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> Who says negatory? Oh, my good friend Norm. Negatory. What's going on, Norm? Uh, anyway, no, don't. I mean, first of all, you can't pardon anybody until you release the uh, Mueller report. All right, let's let's know what's going on. All right, you got this 300-page report. It's sitting in the desk drawer of William Barr. All right, we're getting we're there's greater demands in the city of Chicago to know what Kim Fox knew and when did she know it about Jesse Smollett. I agree. Let's get to the bottom of that but hey hey republicans come on put some of that energy and uh, getting bar to release that report so to answer your question absolutely not no pardons you know how i always say you can't eat your cake until you have eaten your brussels sprouts mm-hmm. all right in this case young donald trump you can't do the pardon until you release the Mueller report we see what's in the Mueller report so we know what questionable activity you you know people in your administration did in regards to their wheeling and dealing with russia now some of my friends of the leftist persuasion are saying ben forget about it drop it uh-uh. <laughs> first of all i'm a curious guy you know i want to know what's in the Mueller report that's number one and number two I think there's a reason they haven't released it, folks. Mm-hmm. I think there's a reason they haven't released it. It'd be interesting if they do release it, D, if they hold back stuff. Well, you can't see this. You know, this is like secret stuff. Oh, really? Okay. Well, it's a good thing. I hope, by the way, Mueller, I hope you kept a copy of the report. 
oh my God, do you think he's like me back in 1974 or whatever when I turned in a paper and I only made one copy that I lost it? Of course, back then, you know. Maybe he had an afro too. (laughs) Yeah, that was me back in 1974. All right. So, no, to answer your question, no pardon. All right. Well, despite some Republicans warning against Trump, uh, well, he refused to rule out pardoning Michael Flynn and others. Uh, When asked by Hannity if he would consider pardoning Flynn, Trump surprisingly ducked and dodged, saying, quote, I don't want to talk about pardons now. (laughs) But went on to suggest (laughs) it was something on his mind. Wait, tell me, did he actually say, I don't want to talk about pardons now? Yeah, yeah. All right. On to the list. Is that a duck and dodge? Uh, it's, an, uh, it's avoiding the question. You're right. Uh, but you know, we've been studying this since the debates, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we were watching the masters of this, uh, Lori Lightfoot and Tony Perkwinkle as they try to, you know, skirt their way around difficult questions that would pin them down. A lot of politicians do this when remember our good friend, governor Pritzker, oh, yeah. weaving, <laughs> dodging on the issue of the taxes. Uh, but, uh, it's, it's sort of a, just a flat out, you know what? I'm not going to answer that question. So anyway, uh, yeah, he is, uh, listen, he, I, if Donald Trump pardons, uh, anybody having to do with, uh, the investigation into uh, co- potential collusion with Russia, potential obstruction of justice, uh, that will just inflame this issue any more than it has already inflamed. So I got to believe the political strategists in the White House are uh, advising him to kind of we can we just push this to the side a little bit. But uh, you know, Donald, sometimes he can't help himself. And hey, just leave JB Pritzker out of this, would you? Thank you. <laughs> I'm not a perfect person. Uh, sorry about that. Not this, perfect. Okay, nobody right. is. Nobody is. Come on, all right? all right. Now there's about 44 minutes of that Sean uh, Hannity interview left. Go check it out on your own time if you want to hear more. Because Ben. We're moving on, all right? Now, listeners, after our Chicago runoff elections uh, come to a close April 2nd, Mm -hmm. uh, by the way, come on April 2nd, (laughs) hurry up. Oh, you're getting tired of it already, huh? Good Lord. (laughs) And after we break down all the winners and losers on Uh April 3rd, Uh we're going to pivot hard into state news and the 2020 presidential Uh, election. And in preparation, every so often, we have taken time on the program to highlight the Democratic candidates ready to take on Trump. And we're going to do that again today because thanks to maybe the biggest election poll nerd in America, <laughs> Nate Silver. Yeah, Nate Silver. In 538.com, uh, we have some interesting 2020 POTUS poll results to read, right, Ben. Already. What yeah. are we in? Uh, March of 2000. Uh, he loves polls, this right, Nate Silver. He yeah, couldn't wait. Yeah. Uh, this was a live poll conducted by uh, Quinnipiac. Mm, sounds good enough, yeah. University. I don't know. There's probably people yelling at me. Uh, university polling which of our Democratic 2020 presidential candidates is the favorite. Let's read the results oh and hey what do you know the leading candidate in this poll hasn't even announced he's running yet hey, grandpa in there yeah grandpa joe joe biden wait hold on 29 percent kitty Kerr says call him uncle joe uncle right. joe yeah. okay sorry, sorry, sorry. Kitty. All right. uncle grandpa joe <laughs> at 29 percent ben how the hell can a dude who isn't even officially running be the leading candidate in a poll well i think we we had an interesting conversation about this yesterday on the whole issue of polls and i think basically what that poll is saying is this is the person they can identify you get what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Uh, so they, oh, I know Biden. Wasn't he uh, the uh, the vice president? This reminds me of a time I will leave names out. Somebody, uh, story was told me. This is um, <laughs> uh, sort of like a, a state. This is this is like a snapshot of the electorate. Somebody was watching with my daughter. The uh, this is 2012. Uh, a speech 
that Joe Biden was giving at the Democratic National Convention. And this person asked my daughter, is that the guy running against Obama? I'm like, wow, man. You know, we got to do a little more education in this country. This person thought that Joe Biden was the one running against Obama as opposed to the guy who just served four years in the White House as Barack Obama's vice president. Come on, people. Anyway, D, that's, uh, I think, what's going on. A lot of people know the name Joe Biden. Ah, okay, so once again, Joe Biden, 29% leading this poll, uh, with this Nate Silver poll that he released here. Mm-hmm. So let's find out the uh, rest of the poll results. Okay. Good All right. Good <laughs> in at number two. Oh, boy. The fix is already in. I can hear him now. No, he's not at 10% of the bottom 10%, and you take the other 10%. No, no, he's at 19%. He's Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders. Yeah, Bernie Sanders. You know, people know his name, obviously, from 2016 when he ran against uh, uh, Hillary Clinton. And he, uh, he has his fervent followers. We were talking to a couple of them. Was it yesterday? They, we, they left buttons. They came into the oh, studio. Oh, yeah, yeah. Here's our Bernie button. Is it pot leaf on it? Yeah. <laughs> is that what, yeah, it is a pot leaf. Yeah. Uh, Bernie's for reefer. Uh, and uh, they are, they're, st- they're sticking with their man. Uh, so he's obviously going to be a formidable person in the Democratic primary, no doubt about it, articulating his left-of-center views. And Joe Biden, of course, if he gets in the race, I think he will get in the race. Uh, we talked about that yesterday. That's what that whole uh, apology, you know, how many years has this been? 1991, since the Clarence Thomas hearings, his apology to Anita Hill, trying to deal with that issue before it deals with him, if you get my point. Uh, I think Joe Biden will get in the race. And uh, so then it'll be sort of the battle that will be going on all throughout the summer into the fall into the next year. Do the Democrats want a more mainstream candidate like Joe Biden who could appeal to swing voters or do they want to go with their heart? Do they want to go with the man who's uh, and well or woman uh, who has been at the forefront of, um, of sort of the left of center issues like uh, a Green New Deal before it was fashionable. So that's the struggle. There we go, folks. Capsulated right there. And we see it in that poll, expressed in that poll, very early poll. 29% for Joe Biden, 19% for Bernie Sanders. Who's next on that poll, D? Next on the poll. In at third, it's Beto O'Rourke with 12%. In fourth, Senator Kamala Harris with 8%. And tied for fifth, right below Cory Booker's 2%. Come on, Booker! (laughs) It's Senator Elizabeth Warren and the South Bend, Indiana mayor himself, one Pete Buttigieg with 4%. Yeah, Pete Buttigieg. Uh, Mayor Pete, he wants to be called. I saw a funny bit about him on Trevor Noah's show where they were making fun of how nobody can pronounce his name. And uh, then, then they, you know how they do it? Trevor Noah always uh, does the clips of the media people one after another. And oh, yeah. It was one after another of some media person go, uh, sort of like me saying Super Pack. Uh, but, uh, Super Park. Super Park, yeah. North Park. Come on. That was the name of the TV show. Uh, but, you know, I'm a little disappointed in this, Paul. I'll go back to it. Elizabeth Warren, what did you say? She was at 2%. Mm-hmm. Elizabeth Warren has been the forefront. Oh, Elizabeth Warren, 4%. 4%. Tied with Pete Buttigieg. Oh, okay. Tied with Pete Buttigieg. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I'm just disappointed. Elizabeth Warren has been at the forefront of the fight. All kinds of good causes, all kinds of fights for the last, um, gosh, I don't know, at least 10 years and uh, senator from Massachusetts. Uh, but um, 4% gets, you know, she's not known to the Democrat rank and file. She's got to get out there. Of course, very early. Still got that Iowa caucus uh, about uh, a year away. So, But uh, it's interesting that some of these uh, folks who have not been on the front lines for very long or in the case of Beto O'Rourke his last election he lost to Ted Cruz he's ahead of Elizabeth Warren in the poll 
So interesting little snapshot of where the Democrats are right now. And Ben, apparently Buttigieg's 4% is nothing to scoff at. This is a big poll number jump for him. In fact, uh, this is his best national poll number to date. The last live inter- interview poll conducted, uh, Buttigieg was only at 1%. Ben Jarofsky, uh, this is obviously just one poll, but inquiring minds would love to know. Is America starting to quote unquote shake their Buttigieg? <laughs> Shake your booty, uh, yeah. Love that song. Uh, yeah, like yeah. Maybe every, maybe all the people in this poll saw the Trevor Noah show. I don't know. You know, it could be something like that. I don't know how many people were in the poll who were questioned. Maybe they got like the the Trevor Noah fans in the poll. So I think it's a little too early to anoint him as a front runner. But by the way, for ten trivia points. Oh God. What frequent guest of the Ben Jarofsky show is from South Bend, Indiana? Monroe Anderson. Eh, Monroe Anderson is from Indiana, but not South Bend. He's from Gary, Indiana. No, the correct answer would be the governor, Stacy Davis Gates. Oh, wow. Yep. Did not know that. Hey, Stacy. Hey, how's it going, Stacy? From South Bend, Indiana. All right, now we will be keeping you uh, keeping tabs on the Indiana mayor, and we will keep you posted on any updates nationally as today's program rolls along. Ben Jarofsky, mm-hmm. yeah. I have a quick question for oh, you. Oh, okay. I think yeah. you may know what it is. Oh. You ready to find out what's going on <laughs> in Chicago and or Illinois? I was born ready. Answer. Born, born, born ready. That's a fantastic answer, my friend, because coming up after Ben tells you about his buddy Doug and his business, we're going to find out what else is news. All right. Very good. Hey, everybody. You know, I like to joke around, but let's get serious for a moment and tell you about the Chicagoland cremation options. When you lose a loved one whose wishes were to be cremated, Chicagoland cremation options provides your family a dignified and affordable cremation service. Chicagoland Cremation Options helps you bypass the expensive overhead of a funeral home or cemetery by streamlining the cremation directly, saving you thousands of dollars. Chicagoland Cremation Options Crematory, just south of O'Hare, five minutes west of Chicago, family owned and operated by, yes, my good friend, Douglas Klein. Hey, Doug. Visit ChicagolandCremationOptions.com. Let me give you that one more time, and I'm going to break it out real slow. Chicago Land Cremation Options options.com all right fantastic we're about to find out what's going on locally now yeah local news time and boy i could have sworn it was over but sadly i've made a huge mistake what do you regret most in your professional life well there she goes again it's time to find out what else is news and yes Lori lightfoot and tony preckwinkle had another Another televised debate last night. The magic number is five. We are five days away from the Chicago runoff elections. And yes, five days until Chicago will have a new mayor. Cook County Board President Tony Preckwinkle or the former Chicago Police Board President Lori Lightfoot. And I promise, all right, yesterday I said uh, that these were all over, but I promise this <laughs> debate right here, all right, yeah. for sure mm-hmm. is the last okay. televised Debate. I got a little ahead of myself, just a little excited. It's you know? all right. I know. Now, Ben, if you don't mind, because mm-hmm. my God, we've done this so many times, yeah. and because uh, we have a new Tony Preckwinkle campaign ad to play, right. let's just plow through this debate as fast as we can. Oh, what do you okay. say? Well, I love debates, but go ahead. All yeah. right. Great, great. I'm our, a political our, junkie. Our final, oh, yes, we know you are. Our final mayoral debate was hosted by CBS2 Chicago, and, well, it touched on quite a few topics. Like uh, the hiring of Alderman Ed Burke's son, Ed Burke Jr., in the county payroll. He was vetted and hired for a very similar position to the one that he held in the sheriff's office. 
Of course it was a cloud hire. And fundamentally, that is what's motivating people to say, we have to have change. The firing of CPS Superintendent Janice Jackson. We need some stability in the, in the CPS leadership. I have a lot of serious questions that I need to ask her and her leadership team to make sure that they're never going to make these kind of mistakes again. What would a debate in Chicago be these days without a question about the handling of the mysterious Jesse Smollett case? And I think in this instance, uh, the judge needs to unseal the record so that the public has an opportunity to, to see what really transpired. And only through a focus on transparency and accountability can I think the public have some confidence that justice was done. And of course, like they always do, things got personal. What do you regret most in your professional life? Well, there she goes again. You've made a hallmark of your campaign since um, February 26 to denigrate me, to challenge me, to tr portray me as something other than I am. I have to explain to my daughter what it means when adults lie. I have to explain to my daughter what it means when adults are bullies. And I have to explain to my daughter what it means when an adult says something that's not true just to try to score political points. This is a person who is complaining now about the tenor of the campaign, but who in the first debate called me a liar and has repeatedly said that, that you know, I'm a cockroach. Shout out to CBS2 Chicago for the audio. Ben, your overall thoughts on last night's debate, and I promise, guys, the last <laughs> televised debate. Well, you know, it, it, it was a little slow, and then they it picked up uh, a bit at the end there, and you played that exchange. Uh, there's a lot to unpack about the earlier parts of the exchange, but let's talk about that last exchange. Uh, this has not been, in my humble opinion, a very uplifting mayoral campaign. This has not been an, an analysis and discussions of the problems Chicago faces and the potential solutions. And the reason for that is the age-old reason is that neither candidate wants to make a commitment on to the issue of how we're going to finance government, how we're going to pay off our obligations, what taxes will be raised, who will pay the most, what taxes will be offset, what taxes, excuse me, will be cut, so we, maybe we won't have uh, as regressive a form of taxation as we had uh, over the last few years. Nobody wants to be pinned down. Nobody wants to turn have their ideas turned into talking points in uh, negative campaign ads. So this is where we're at. People generally they generally speak in platitudes they generally avoid the complicated questions they uh, they generally duck and dodge they uh, move they pivot we've talked about all the strategies that they employ in a debate to avoid having to give a direct answer to a direct question and then we have fun with the uh, questioners trying extra hard to pin them down good luck on that one folks so um, this has not been a very uplifting campaign I've in general the the last few campaigns have not been uplifting at all. Going back, I could just go back in local level to 2015, and um, where Mayor Rahm ran against Chewy Garcia, and once again, there was no indication from Mayor Rahm's campaign what he was going to do to pay off obligations. He pretended as though he'd already figured things out, when of course he hadn't. So that's the, the fundamental problem with this campaign. Now, in terms of who said what first, and in the, who said what nasty thing first, uh, Lori Lightfoot is absolutely correct that Tony Preckwinkle from the get-go went nasty. That Tony Preckwinkle's team was following the ROM team strategy, which is to, you know, brand your opponent before they can sort of promote the identity they want you to see of them. And no, a lot of people didn't know anything about Lori Lightfoot after round one. So Tony was the first person hit her hard. You know, she's a corporate lawyer. She doesn't care about you. All she cares about is rich people, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, is that fair? 
No, it's not fair. Is that accurate? No, it's not accurate. But hey, it's Chicago politics. Meanwhile, you know, it's not like Lori was Lori was rolling over. I mean, just like Tony Preckwinkle said, the first commercial she had with the light turning on as well, cock, cockroaches were scuttering around and scurrying around. And that's what uh, Laura, uh, Tony Preckwinkle was saying. You portrayed me as a cockroach. Not literally. She didn't literally say, but that was the general idea. So, you know, I, I listen. I, I don't the other thing about Lori bringing her daughter in. I always have uh, suggested to politicians, leave your kids out of the conversation uh, when it comes to running a campaign. You don't want your kid brought in uh, in a negative ad. You don't want your kid. You, then if that's the case, then you really shouldn't use your kid. Uh, and Lori has already used her kid. It was a very funny commercial, a personalized Lori Lightfoot. Featuring flossing. Featuring flossing, as we all know, is the the modern day version of the twist, right? You didn't know that, did you, D? Shout out to all our chubby checker fans out there listening. <laughs> Come on, baby. Anyway, so um, yeah, so it's not been a particularly uplifting campaign. And uh, any comments on what they said about Ed Burke Jr. and Janice Jackson? Oh, I mean, okay, Ed Burke Jr., there's no way to duck and dodge that one, uh, Tony Prickwinkle. And I, I don't know. No one's really buying your answer that uh, he was just another well-qualified uh, candidate who just, you know, was a fair process. Listen, there is a fen- fundamental flaw in the way we've done business in the city of Chicago for all these years, and people are tired of it. They keep electing mayors that continue it, but they say they're tired of it and that it's all about who you know, and you hire the right person, you get the right deal, et cetera, et cetera. We've seen it going back for years and years and years, at least since Harold Washington uh, left the scene. So uh, Tony Preckwinkle is the head of the Democratic Party. She's got to deal with that. Folks are tired of it. I think that's probably going to be the reason why Lori Lightfoot wins, if she wins, and I predict that she will win. The polls are accurate anyway. So uh, there's no really great way for Tony Preckwinkle to answer that one. Nobody's going to really buy it at all. In terms of uh, firing Janice Jackson, um, you know, that's interesting. They, they've they kind of been all over the map on that one. Janice Jackson is a ROM's appointee to the Chicago uh, school, the school, uh, Chicago public schools. She's the CEO of the public schools. And uh, they're kind of hesitant to go after her. I think she's uh, well-liked uh, by principals in the city of Chicago, at least at this moment in time. So they're kind of hesitant uh, to directly confront her on that one. And anything on the Jesse Smollett? That they mentioned there. Well, I agree with Tony Preckwinkle. Unseal those records. That's what Tony Preckwinkle said. It's a disgrace that the records were sealed in the first place. I don't even know what the justification for that's. There's so much wrong with the Jesse Smollett situation. D. One of them. That's just one point is sealing the records. I don't know why this is a very public. Uh, uh, this is a very public incident. There was uh, very serious accusations made by Jesse Smollett. They were contradicted by the investigation by the Chicago Police Department. The uh, state's attorney uh, filed charges. There were charges filed against them. Grand jury, uh, the case was brought to a grand jury, and charges were filed against them. So these are this is a very serious crime. A lot of attention to it. Why would you seal the records? That just goes back to the issue I raised before about. Knowing the right people in Cook County and Chicago, if you know the right people, you're not going to be punished. Are they going to seal the records? Are they going to slap you on the wrist? So, 
uh, yeah, you know, I, I absolutely agree with Tony Perkwinkle there that uh, those records should be unsealed. And thank God, stick a fork in it. Those debates are done. <laughs> Boom! All the debates. Yeah. The mayoral debates are finished. April 2nd, five days away, we will find out who the new mayor is. Oh, okay. And a shout out to live streamer Stanley. He, okay. uh, he weighed in here on the, um, on the live stream. Get this. Stanley says, I hate politics. <laughs> He's listening to hey, a Stanley. <laughs> Glad to have you. You probably tuned out by now. All right, now to the Tony Preckwinkle ad. All right, everybody, like we said here, Tony Preckwinkle did release a brand new ad. Uh, this following comes from the Chicago Sun-Times and one friend, the woe man Spielman. After yanking her television commercials more than a week ago, Tony Preckwinkle is back on the air with an ad that tries to light a fire under Lori Lightfoot. Listeners, you're going to hear how clever that is in a moment, all right, from Fran Spielman. Uh, with the election just five days away, Preckwinkle has purchased $50,000 in television time to air a commercial reminding Chicago voters that a judge once reprimanded Lightfoot for her shockingly lax handling of a lawsuit stemming from a 2004 fire that killed four children. Here is the latest ad from Tony Preckwinkle. This ad is titled Troubling. A tragic fire made worse when the 911 call center run by Lori Lightfoot allegedly botched the response, costing lives. To cover it up, Lightfoot allegedly lied, became extremely evasive, and evidence was destroyed or deliberately withheld. A judge called her actions shocking and very, very troubling. If she wouldn't do what was right then, how will Lori Lightfoot bring in the light now? Yeah, they're getting hard. And listen, that's a gross distortion. It went down, uh, what was it, 2004, when Lori Lightfoot was uh, in charge of the city's 911 center. Folks, I've said this uh, once, twice, thrice, fourth, five sykes. Uh, don't believe what one candidate says about another candidate, or at least just don't just don't accept it. Don't swallow it. With the things that Lori Lightfoot says about Tony Preckwinkle, and the things Tony Preckwinkle says about Lori Lightfoot, just a year ago, ago they were allies. You know, uh, Tony was calling Lori and asking for campaign contributions. They were all sort of part and general way of the city of Chicago ruling class. You know, uh, Lori was an appointee by the mayor on the police board, and uh, she had served under Mayor Richard M. Daley. Uh, Tony was an ally of Mayor Daley's. Uh, they they worked to bring the Olympics to, to Chicago. The Daly family helped Tony in the 2010 race when she won the primary, uh, defeating Todd Stroger to be in the county board. You know, they're basically cut from the same cloth. They come from the same, they have the same roots here, politically speaking, in the city of Chicago. And now, because they're fighting to be mayor of the city, they're going to exaggerate and distort their pasts and pretend as though there's something strikingly different about them. And they're going to look for any anything, any little thing they could t take and exaggerate and blow up that the other person may or may not have done years ago. So suddenly hiring Ed Burke's kid is a sign that, what, uh, Tony Preckwinkle is like a cockroach that scurries outside when you turn the light on, or that uh, the the incident with the fire that took place in 2004, where the records were destroyed and by somebody other than Lori Lightfoot, is an indication that Lori is evil. Come on, people, you're too smart for the fall for this stuff. 
But, you know, this is, hey, year in race after race, D, it's shown that negative campaigning works. I remember talking about this with Jacob Kaplan and Danny P, uh, the political know-it-alls uh, on their show. You know, why do why do campaigns resort to negative campaign uh, commercials? Because it works. So that's what we're getting at the last minute from Tony Preckwinkle, apparently saved up her money uh, for one last TV buy of, what, four or five days before the election. So there you are. Just like that, you're now in the know of what is going on in Chicago. What do you regret most in your professional life? Well, there she goes again. Five more days, guys. Just five more days, and now you will have an answer. The next time someone asks you, hey, what else is news? All right, very good. I'm going to tell you something that uh, Stanley... Uh, who just uh, wrote in on our Facebook page. Oh, lover of politics. Uh, Stanley Clark, one of the great bass players. Nice. Oh, that's good. Stanley Clark. And Clark Kent. Oh, <laughs> like that, yes. Uh, they all agree. You did a great job. Give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. we got Kathy Cheney coming up. Stick around, folks. Hey there. Producer Dennis here. Thanks for finding and listening to the brand new Ben Jarofsky Show. All right, so here's how this works. The Ben Jarofsky Show live streams on the Chicago Sun-Times YouTube channel Tuesday through Friday, 1 until 3 p.m. Once the show is over, you can listen to the replay on our YouTube channel, or we throw it online for you to download by 4 p.m. Where can you download the Ben Jarofsky Show, you may be asking yourself? Well, you may be asking yourself a fantastic question. You can find previous Ben Jarofsky shows and guest interviews through several outlets. The Chicago Sun-Times Online, chicago.suntimes.com. The Chicago Reader Online, chicagoreader.com. And wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, pick one. Just search for The Ben Jarofsky Show. J-O-R-A. V is in victory, S-K-Y. So, let's recap. Tuesday through Friday, 1 until 3 p.m., live streamed on the Chicago Sun-Times YouTube channel and downloadable by 4 at chicago.suntimes.com, chicagoreader.com, and wherever else you listen to your favorite podcast. Yes, the Ben Jarofsky Show is back. We're live and downloaded. Tell your friends and enjoy the rest of the show. Ben Jarofsky Show is brought to you by the Chicago Sun-Times. For the latest in Chicago and Illinois news, sports, weather, and the latest in national news from a real Chicago frame of mind and real Chicago writers, check out the Chicago Sun-Times. Read the daily paper or online at chicago.suntimes.com. And hey, if you have a little extra cash, subscribe. And by the Chicago Reader. For a deeper dive in the daily Chicago news and for all of what's going on in this city, you gotta read the reader. Music, arts and culture, film, extensive event calendars, concert listings, and more, including weekly political columns from writers like Maya Dukmasova and, yes, our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader is free in newsstands and at chicagoreader.com. That's chicagoreader.com. Hey, welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show. Benny J, take it away. All right, well, too. You know, we've been at the doing this show from the Sun Times building for about mm, 
four weeks, D, is that right? Four weeks? Yeah, going on four weeks, I believe. When we first showed up here, we were like the new kids on the show, all right? Nobody knew who we were walking in. They were like, excuse me, uh, would you sign this guest thing and put the guest pass on? Remember that, D? And was, I felt like I was the new kid at uh, Nichols Junior High back in sixth grade when I just showed up in Evanston from Rhode Island. I didn't know anybody. So I was walking in with my little Chicago Bulls lunchbox. You know what I'm saying? Hi, I'm here. I'm the new guy. And who showed up? One of the... One of the people at the Sun-Times who just showed up, knocked on the door, Kathy Cheney, welcome to the party, she said. <laughs> that was me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I said, God bless Kathy Cheney, all right? Not a lot of people welcome the new guy, you know, with the who's the weirdo with the Bulls lunchbox, man, and the avocado cheese sandwiches. So anyway, thanks for welcoming me to the Sun-Times, Kathy Cheney. My pleasure. And Thank you for having me. Yes, I'm re- I, I coming right back at you. Uh, a deputy managing editor of my beloved Bright One. I almost called her the publisher. She said, don't call me the publisher. <laughs> no, please don't do that. All right. So uh, you're a Chicagoan born and raised. Is that correct? Absolutely. Southside um, White Sox fan. But actually, I'm a baseball chick, so I'm a fan of the sport. So I root for both teams. Okay. You got it covered. Uh, yes. And uh, by the way, the, the season opens today. Uh, the Sox, I think, are in Kansas City, right, Miles? Yep. The Sox are in Kansas City. I forget. Wait, are the Cubs in, Cubs are in Texas? Mm-hmm. I hate that when they play the other scene. <laughs> anyway. Um, so, yeah, Percy Julian High School, as I recall. Absolutely. I bleed orange and brown. Um Love my school, Julian Jaguar for life. Julian Jaguar for life. Now, Julian's uh, is, uh, on the far southwest. I want to say it's um, like, uh, well, near Beverly, so it's just mm-hmm. east of Beverly, uh, my recollection of Julian yes. High School. Yes, it's on 103rd and Elizabeth, right. but you might as well say right off 103rd and Vincennes. On Vincennes. Okay. Yes. Uh, and so you've been around Chicago for a little while, not as long as I have. You're a lot younger than I am. Uh, Thank you for the compliment. And uh, <laughs> well, considering how ancient I am, I'm not sure how much of that is a compliment. Uh, but Kathy, how has Chicago changed, in your humble opinion, uh, since you were a, a student at Julie? When you look at all the changes going on in the city and that you have to address, that sometimes address, I address all the time when marriage races dressing. How has Chicago fundamentally changed, in your opinion? Um, I think, I wouldn't necessarily say it has changed. I think that we have become more aware of what has been going on because of social media um, and just the increased awareness that it has made residents um, with watching the news as well. We don't have to wait until the four, five, six, and 10 o'clock news anymore or your daily paper the next morning. You can find out everything that's been going on every second of the day on your phone. So I think that while some things may seem that, you know, it's gotten worse, uh, things have changed. Um, maybe in some respect for the better on some issues. I think that, you know, the community is just more aware of what's going on now because it's always in your face constantly from various sources. Now, would you say uh, the community, you mean all communities? All communities. In the city of Chicago are much more plugged in and tied into high profile issues. Absolutely. uh, Like the Jesse Smollett one that we've been talking about. Absolutely. Um, How has the neighborhood that you grew up in changed in any ways? The the Washington Heights area, the area on the the far southwest side that we've been talking about. Um, That has changed. Well, you know what? It's a different time. Back then, I could go outside and play. I didn't have to have, you know, chaperones. I can go off the block, things like that. You know, I, I was one of the kids... 
when the streetlights came home, you had to be home. So that type of thing. We had a neighborhood type feel where everyone on the block, you know, felt like family. I mean, it was a block club oriented neighborhood. Now, I think that while most of us have moved away and we still have some family in the area where we go visit, there are a lot of new faces and some of the kids that were, you know, just being born during that time, they've grown up and it's just a different time. There isn't that block club feel anymore. It's still a nice area um, that has its challenges like every single neighborhood in Chicago, but um, there's just a different feel. You don't feel that sense of family anymore. I mean, you talk about a change where you don't feel the sense of family in some neighborhoods. Uh, I could argue it's citywide. Things have changed mm-hmm. so much uh, in the city of Chicago. You just walk down a street that uh, you, just, you think you're familiar with, uh, Kathy, and then all of a sudden, like, Oh man, that that building is yeah. I that building wasn't there last month. Exactly. Well, that store has closed. Or well, when did it close? And you know, you're just looking at vacant spots, and you're like, "What the hell happened?" You so know? when you see, uh, we're in the midst. Uh, we're coming down the stretch run of a mayor's race, uh, Lori Lightfoot versus Tony Preckwinkle, and you follow this, of course, from your position here at the Sun Times. Do you have a sense that this race, the issues that are being raised in the race, the things that are being talked about in the race, address the kind of just the fundamental change that you just talked about that you see in in the old Washington Heights area that you grew up in? I think that both candidates are touching on some of the issues of importance to uh, that community and a few others, especially in the African-American community. I think they're touching on them on the surface. I don't think that they're going deep into it. Um, And I think that that's why I hear from plenty of residents who say, well, you know, why don't you dig deeper into this? You know, what exactly are you going to do about that? And, well, didn't you do this before? How do I know that you're definitely going to change if I vote for you and get you in? So I think that they're touching on subjects, but I don't think they're massaging the subjects that the residents really want to um, get into. Do you think that they're doing that because they want to avoid touchy issues that could get them in trouble? Or do you think they're doing that because they just don't even know what to say? <laughs> I think it could be both. Um, I think that they're just being, you know, extremely cautious of what they're saying. Um, I think they're just trying to monitor their words, um, trying to audit the other person's words, um, and just try to be on the safe side of everything. And sometimes being on the safe side, it may work for you, but you really need to tell me why I should be voting for you, why you deserve my vote, So, which means I need you to get into the weeds. I need you to peel the onion, not just give me some surface institutional press release jargon. Now, uh, Lori Lightfoot, let's just break down the candidates a little bit. Lori Lightfoot is new, essentially, to the political game. It's her first run for office. Mm-hmm. Her first run for office, Kathy, she's already in the finals uh, to be mayor of the city of Chicago, and according to the polls, will be elected on Tuesday. I realize that polls don't vote, <laughs> all right? But I'm just saying. Okay, so she's the front runner, if mm-hmm. you will. Uh, so what do people, you know, a lot of times people come up to me, Kathy, because I'm in the business, they go, well, what do you think about X, Y, Z? And so then I... You know, I have to have opinion for everything I do. Uh, so what do you what kind of questions do you get uh, from people back in your old neighborhood regarding uh, Lori Lightfoot, who's brand new to the scene? Well, I get a lot of uh, questions about when she was on the police board, um, when she was you know, head of the police board. I covered so many police board meetings. So I've seen all of the activists, you know, there shutting down meetings. I've seen her 
try to, you know, regain some control of the meeting. And when the activists took over and just, you know, continued on, I've seen her, you know, shut the meeting down early and just say, you know, to everyone who signed up to speak, sorry about that, but, you know, we have to maintain order. She did it very diplomatically, but um, I get a lot of questions about, okay, she's over the police board, she wouldn't let us speak. And to that, I would say she has to maintain some order, but I understand, you know, the activist point also. I can understand both sides. Mm -hmm. So I just get a lot of questions of, you know, just the Laquan McDonald um, and all the other cases that, you know, didn't make, you know, the big headlines. They were below the fold or deep in the, you know, the papers of every paper and it's probably got an inch of coverage. Um, I hear about all of that um, because some of those cases are the ones that come up at the police board meetings. And then that's when the reporters are like, well, let me check on this because, you know, I really didn't hear about this. So it's those type of questions that I get um, from people who have gone to the police board meetings faithfully every month, you know, when she was the head of it and just asked me, so do you think that, you know, she will be the right person because we weren't really jiving with, you know, how she handled this meeting, how she's handled, you know, some of these other cases. And then just being the head of the police board um, and then former OPS, that's going to bring a lot of criticism automatically with a lot of activists and, you know, um, families of victims, you know, that have gone against the police department. Absolutely. And I know exactly what you're saying. Um, there's so many hearings. Uh, it's not just the police board, uh, Kathy. I see it like the board of education. Mm-hmm. Uh, I see it more at the board because I, I'm more familiar with the board than I am with the police board, uh, board of education. But you know, you'll have some parents uh, or students come up or teachers with some real heartfelt mm-hmm. testimony about something that they're experiencing every single day that has to be changed because it's really wrong. Mm-hmm. And you're talking to a group of appointees mm-hmm. who just, they must teach them this look, Kathy, you know what I'm <laughs> saying? Like that passive look, like mm-hmm. a stone, they're not going to show any emotion sometimes exactly. i think they're not even listening they're like on their phones and stuff mm-hmm. and it, it it is troubling you, you know you, you, you feel like if you're going to go before your representatives mm-hmm. they're going to show you a little love you know or uh, everything is timed you have a short time window which may be two minutes maybe three sometimes and we all know how fast that time can go you can't really get out how you truly feel in that short amount of time. Mm-hmm. So I think that's what always kind of breeds the resentment and the frustration when people sign up to speak at the meetings is that they're in the middle of saying something and then it's like, okay, oh, here's your time. Yeah. And then that's it. Yeah. That's what really starts to anger people because they're not being heard. Yeah, absolutely. And then on the other hand, when it's a development deal, man, they give the developer like an hour. <laughs> hey, take more time. You, you want to use the overhead projector? Sure. All right, then they, the citizens come up. Oh, you got two minutes. Clock ticking. Hey, if you're all in the same group, only you one person right. gets to talk. You are right. right? Am I right, right. or am I wrong? Yes. Kathy? Yes. You know? So no wonder people uh, have a cynical attitude mm-hmm. about appointees. Yes. All right. Let's talk about uh, Tony Preckwinkle and the impression she's made on people from, you know, who know you from your years at uh, Julian or Washington Heights, et cetera. What's sort of the attitude about her? Um, in the beginning, um, I've heard from a lot of people and I used to cover Hyde Park when she was an alderman as well. Um in the fourth ward and in the beginning people related to her. Mm -hmm. They felt that she was 
you know, going to be good for the city. And, you know, if she ran for mayor, she would be good because there was talk about that, you know, years ago. Mm-hmm. And then when she went for the Cook County Board president's uh, position, people were hopeful. Um, a lot of constituents in the fourth ward and just other people that I've talked to um, and doing reporting over that time. And then as she got in there, it just seemed like um, to them, to the people that I've talked to, that it was business as usual. And they were a little disappointed about that. So they're kind of thinking about that as well. But then at the same time, they're saying she does have deep experience. Um, she was an alderman, she was a teacher, but she was an alderman. And when we talk about it on the political landscape and then now she's Cook County Board President, she understands, you know, the inner workings of government budgets and everything. So I think that with the same time of them feeling, uh, I may not be rocking with her too tough. Mm-hmm. I think that I may rock with her because she's the more experienced political candidate. So some people are really on the fence about that. Yeah, I, I, I have to tell you, I'm going to make a confession uh, to you, Kathy <laughs> Cheney. Uh, in 2004, I mean, it's hardly a confession because the record is there. That's why I can never run for office, Kathy, because my record is there. Um, but I was, I really wanted Tony Perkwinkle to run in 2014. And I think there was a poll in the Sun-Times that had her with a commanding lead against uh, Mayor Rahm back in 2014. I really felt the city needed to change coming out of that first term, mm-hmm. Mayor Rahm's first term. So I was advocating for her when my columns that I was writing for the reader, run, Tony, run. She mm-hmm. didn't run. Yeah, I think that that disappointed a lot of people because they really expected her to do so. And when she didn't, it was like the air was let out the balloon and they were like, oh, why did you do this to us? You know, this was your moment. This was your chance. It was almost like when Jesse Jr. uh, talked about running a long time ago, people were excited and then there was nothing. And then it was like, okay, you've got to seize the moments when, you know, the community is behind you. Yeah. You've got to seize that moment. And, you know, it just didn't happen. Yeah, I was I was also pleading for him to run. <laughs> Jesse Jr. was like 2006. Mm-hmm. Run, Jr., run. Uh, and Louis Gutierrez ducked out of that race, too. That was the 2007 uh, Mayor Daly race. And we ended up with Dorothy Brown, I believe, running against Mayor Daly. Yeah, so a lot of people that get... See, this is this is breeds some cynicism, in my humble opinion. Kathy, get your thoughts on this. When you got to go against the real all-powerful mm-hmm. boss of the city, and then you back off, and then you hop in the race when the big powerful mm-hmm. boss is gone, breeds sense of like, where were you when we needed you? Type of thing. Why were you scared then? Yeah, you know, it's I, I hear a lot of that as like, okay, if you care about the city, you really want to run, then you would have gone for it then. Um, so. Now you're giving the impression that you were too scared to go up against them. If you lost, then you lost. You try again. Nothing beats a failure but a try. So it's just like you've got to take that risk. Wait, what was that line? What did you just say? Nothing beats a failure but a try. Yeah. So I'm going to get that on a teach. No. <laughs> That's a good one. Did you learn that at Julian High School? <laughs> Probably before then. <laughs> uh, nothing beats a failure. Yeah, it's absolutely true. Um, All right, now let's uh, shift gears a little bit from this mayor's race. You know I wouldn't let you escape this room without asking you about the big story. I told you I was going to ask you about it. Uh, it, It's been an obsession of 
pretty much uh, every talk show host and every newspaper writer in town for at least three days. It'll pass. It'll pass. These things do. win. (laughs) Jesse, is it Smollett or Smollett? Smollett. Okay, Smollett. Uh, Sorry, Jesse, I've been mispronouncing it half the time. Well, at least you're not saying Jesse, and you're saying Jesse. I think there was Uh, a He was saying (laughs) Jesse, then then came showtime and said, dude, it's Jesse. Okay, yeah. Okay. (laughs) All right, I have a confession to make. I I was not aware of him, his existence. Oh, Uh, my goodness. I I know, man. I got to get out more. I I don't watch Empire, although I was once, I was once did a story about um, the studio Mm -hmm. where uh, Empire is shot, and so- uh, I, I was walking through, they were showing me around, and uh, they said, here, and there was the set, there was the, mm. the dining room table oh, okay. where Terrence Howard sits, yes. and so I sat in that seat, someone took a picture of it, and I sent it to my daughters and friends who all watch Empire, uh-huh. and they were like, I go, recognize this? I'm like, hey, that's Empire, what are you? Oh, my yeah, so I didn't know anything about Jesse uh, oh. until this thing exploded in the news, so uh, all right. Oh, so when you um, look at this one, uh, the it, the question we had yesterday, you know, should Chicago be embarrassed or does this have nothing to do uh, with Chicago? Oh, that's a good question. Um, oh, man. Um, it's very little that leaves me speechless. Let's <laughs> see. Should we be in You know, yes, there should be some embarrassment. Um, with law enforcement because there have been so many alleged leaks by law enforcement that it is um, it still has people wondering what's going on, who leaked it. Um, so I, I would say that there should be some embarrassment about the alleged leaks. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely there. Um, I'll just stop at that. Yeah, and you just, just want the whole thing that. to pass. I really, really do. I yeah. really do because... I don't know what to make of it. It's just, it's head scratching. And I just, I'm exhausted by just even, you know, hearing everything that comes out by reading the stories. It, it's truly exhausting because I'm like, I still just don't even know what the hell happened. Yeah, you know? definitely unseal those records, as Tony Perkwinkle said in the debate yesterday. All right, very good. Uh, Kathy Cheney, a deputy med engineer editor of the Chicago Sun-Times. Thank you so much once again for welcoming me to this building. Oh. My pleasure. And uh, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you so much. All right, Ryan Kelly, the immortal union man. Yes, he's from the Aerospace Union, not the Aerosmith Union. Let's get it 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 straight. He'll be, he's on deck. We'll bring him on after this. Hey there, producer Dennis here. Thanks for finding and listening to the brand new Ben Jarofsky show. All right, so here's how this works. The Ben Jarofsky Show live streams on the Chicago Sun-Times YouTube channel Tuesday through Friday, 1 until 3 p.m. Once the show is over, you can listen to the replay on our YouTube channel, or we throw it online for you to download by 4 p.m. Where can you download The Ben Jarofsky Show, you may be asking yourself? Well, you may be asking yourself a fantastic question. You can find previous Ben Jarofsky shows and guest interviews through several outlets. The Chicago Sun-Times Online, chicago.suntimes.com. The Chicago Reader Online, chicagoreader.com. And wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, pick one. Just search for The Ben Jarofsky Show. J-O-R-A. V is in victory, S-K-Y. So, let's recap. Tuesday through Friday, 1 until 3 p.m. 
live streamed on the Chicago Sun-Times YouTube channel and downloadable by four at chicago.suntimes.com, chicagoreader.com, and wherever else you listen to your favorite podcast. Yes, the Ben Jarofsky Show is back. We're live and downloaded. Tell your friends and enjoy the rest of the show. Hey guys, hour number two of your Ben Jarofsky show for Thursday, March 28th is just moments away. But before we get into said hour number two, we have to thank the following unions for helping bring the Ben Jarofsky show back. All right. First up, we got the man in the studio right now. The International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local 126 and District 8. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9. And the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150. Thank you once again to those unions for jumping on board with us here. And of course, today's show is brought to you by our friends at the Chicago Federation of Labor. Hour number two, let's go. It is Thursday, March 28th, and live from the Chicago Reader's Suntime Studio on Racine Avenue, this is the Ben Jarofsky Show. In this hour of the program, it's the return of Union Man Ryan Kelly, and we welcome Steve Lester of the Chicago Symphony Orchestra. And now your host, oh, you give this man a tuba, he'll kill it. <laughs> All right? I guarantee it. <laughs> Chicago Reader columnist, Benny J. Benjarovsky. Uh, yes, indeed. Uh, Steve Lester will be in the studio later. He uh, plays the double bass, which is different than the cello. We'll get into all that. He's one of the striking Chicago Symphony Orchestra members. Interesting conversation to have about uh, the state of unions in this country uh, that, uh, that the members of the Chicago Symphony Orchestra uh, have a, a union of their own. So uh, it's not just... People who are blue-collar folks with unions these days. Uh, speaking of which, Ryan Kelly in the studio, the union man, the pride and joy of the Southwest Side, Boston. I'm not quite where he's from. I always think he's from Boston, but he lives in the Southwest Side, right? Born and raised Chicago. Born lived in Boston. Back to Chicago. Why do I think Boston? I don't know. A Red Sox guy for some reason. Anyway, Ryan Kelly on deck, ready to talk. Before we bring Ryan on, what you got for me, young man? We have an update here, and... Boy, this Jesse Smollett case is some kind of something, isn't it? On Tuesday, prosecutors announced that they have dropped all 16 charges against Smollett for faking his own hate crime. Then on Wednesday, our mayor, Rahm Emanuel, along with police superintendent Eddie Johnson, voiced their frustration with the decision. Where is the accountability in the system? You cannot have, because of a person's position, one set of rules apply to them. And another set of rules apply to everybody else. In another way, you're seeing this play out in the universities, where people pay extra to get their kids a special position in universities. Now you have a person, because of their position and background, who's getting treated in a way that nobody else would ever, sorry about that, would get near, I'm doing, near my sermon here, that would ever get close yeah, to this so type of now. treatment. <laughs> 
So yeah, that happened. All right, Mayor Rahm went on CNN to talk about it. And everything. No, but the sorry about that yeah. always kills me. Oh, he was on fire. Oh, hey, sorry, sorry but sorry. you knocked somebody's coffee over. Doing or my sermon. Yeah. <laughs> all right, so that happened. So and here we are on Thursday, and yeah. now our president oh. has weighed in on all of this. Oh, uh, what does he have to and, say? And of course, Donald Trump weighed in uh, as he always does via Twitter. Oh, all yeah, right, well. so just let me uh, click over to Donald Trump's Twitter page real quick. Got several windows open in my browser here. All right, hang tight. Hold on, let me grab it here. Okay, we're now on Donald Trump's Twitter page. Still dumpster fire. Just going and going it's and going. Ra- it's raging out of control. It's been going since like June 2017, man. Yeah, it'll probably go until 2020. Holy cow. This was at 534 this morning. <laughs> Whoa. 534? Wakey, 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 Benny. <laughs> and that's Eastern time. Oh, my God. Here's the tweet. I thought I was up early at 830. Oh, no. He's a psycho, too, Ben. All right, here's the tweet. <laughs> FBI and DOJ to review the outrageous Jesse Smollett case in Chicago. It's an embarrassment to our nation. Isn't that funny? God, that's good. Look who's suddenly an advocate. By the end, is a very good imitation. That's, 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 that's so on point. If you yeah. folks could see this, the faces are, are amazing. Uh, it, it's just, look who all of a sudden is in an advocate for an FBI investigation. One, President Donald John Trump. I seem to recall when the FBI was investigating Donald John Trump, it was like, you know, secret state. You can't trust the thing they say. You know, they're all crooked. Isn't that it? Interesting. But Benny J, that was only half of the update. Oh. Now Mayor Rahm has weighed in on Donald Trump's tweet. <laughs> ah, America. There we go. Okay, so the following comes <laughs> okay. from Ben's beloved Bright One, the Chicago Sun Times, uh, Lynn Sweet, Fran the Woman Spielman, and Stefano Esposito. Uh-huh. Let's see here. It says Rahm weighs in on Trump here. Okay, it says, meanwhile, Mayor Rahm Emanuel said Trump should, quote, sit this one out <laughs> and announce the city will send Smollett a bill to recoup the, uh, the cost of the investigation into the allegations. Uh, the mayor argued that Trump forfeited his moral authority to weigh in on the Smollett case with his widely criticized response to a white nationalist rally in Charlottesville, Virginia that turned violent. Here's the quote from Mayor Rahm. And remember, when we read Mayor Rahm quotes or player uh, Mayor Rahm audio, he's smart, you're not. Quote, <laughs> we condemn in the strongest possible terms this egregious display of hatred, uh, bigotry, and violence on many sides. On many sides. So there we go. Yeah, all right. Well, listen, Rahm Emanuel, let's just say this about Rahm. I've never seen Rahm pause in the middle of, the, of a sentence to apologize for something. It was to really elbowed somebody on that point. I love that part. Oh, sorry. He's been working out. Uh, but uh, Rahm, don't blame me, Emanuel. He has just made it clear from the get-go that he had nothing to do with this thing. All right, folks? And that's the key. His uh, paramount interest. Uh, but now that he, he's, it's very important for him to sort of... Uh, dislink dis- himself or cut himself off from uh, Donald Trump's criticism and uh, so it's very you know interesting uh, little game he has to play because once he takes side on an issue that Donald Trump uh, agrees with then he has to make it clear that he's not with Donald Trump you're following that one so it's a lot of ducking dodging moving all right. Everybody is just trying to you know, stay on the right. I, I just side have to things. say, it's like, you know, just sit this one out, Mr. President. I mean, that's like it's hilarious. It reminds me of. Um, oh, what's that movie? John Goodman's in it. Uh, 
You're out of your element, Donnie. <laughs> oh, uh, you're, no, that's uh, the Big, the Big Lebowski. Lebowski. Yeah. Uh, you're out of your <laughs> element, Donnie. Oh, that's a great scene. Now, Donnie, uh, Steve Buscemi is trying to w- cut into the conversation yep. that uh, he's having. I could talk about Big Lebowski for all day, right? Oh, my God. It's, uh, it's such a great movie. Yeah, but you're out of your element, Donnie. Uh, and uh, anyway, so uh, that is funny. Uh, Donald Trump weighing in, uh, suddenly extolling the virtues of an FBI investigation. Meanwhile, the Mueller report is hidden in a drawer somewhere in the attorney. General's office. Wait, hold on. What's that, Donald Trump? No collusion. Oh, okay. okay. Well, okay. if you say so, young Donald. Uh, by the way, uh, Steve Lester has walked in the room. I love it when guests come early. All right. You bravo. Know? Bravo. <laughs> we salute you. We really we do salute. love that. And he uh, brought his uh, double bass and his cello. Whoa. Uh, no, no. <laughs> We have the piano right there. Uh, the piano right there. Yeah. yeah. You know, you play the double bass. You play some chamber the chamber music. You know, plays, yeah, set the mood. music. So uh, we'll bring uh, Steve Lester on. Um, really he's happy to see when a guest comes early from the Chicago Symphony Orchestra. Talk about that strike is heading into, I want to say it's second week. Do I have that correct? Day 18. Uh, day 18, okay. So that would be, let me do the One of my favorite week. features of the new Ben Jarofsky show, when Ben <laughs> talks to people with no microphones, so, and listeners like, huh? It's <laughs> great. All right, uh, Ryan Kelly, uh, union man, aerospace, not aerosmith. Bingo. We take, before we do any deep dive. You're so on point today. Uh, he told me, he said, yeah, what do you, I go, uh, Ryan, what do you talk about? He goes, a Brazilian brain parasite. And I'm like, what? I even heard about that one. Is, I, that, is that a real thing? I, I'm into a lot of different stuff, folks. So uh, I read about a lot of weird stuff sometimes, and that's cool because I'm interested in it. But recently I was listening to the uh, Joe Rogan podcast and um, he got off on a tangent about a Brazilian brain worm. It's called like Toxoplasma. And folks, this is like the stuff nightmares are made of. I mean, this parasite is transferred through uh cat fecal matter essentially and then it, you hear the term cat scratch fever they tell pregnant women to stay away from yeah. cats because of this brain parasite and apparently this thing infiltrates your brain mm. and there's all sorts of symptoms that cause you to uh, act very very risky behavior promiscuous behavior and all sorts of stuff it's insane and i guess like a a segment of the entire Brazilian population has this. And it's like, I'm like, what is this? This is insane. (laughs) Yeah, I I did a deep dive of mini. We're going to avoid talking about it anymore. But after you mentioned this to me, I took the, uh, uh, you know, a little stroll through the internet and I read the same things you're reading. I'm like, (laughs) all the things I worry about, and I worry about a lot of things, you know, I try to uh, uh, limit what I worry about to stuff I can actually control, although most of it I can't control. But, oh, my God. The Brazilian brain parasite, man. I'm just going to have to put that one off. We're going to table that one. Um, All right, some little good news to report on the labor front. I told you about this. It was in the newspaper today. McDonald's will no longer use resources to oppose minimum wage increases. Ryan, we've talked about this for a long time. You've been coming on the show, the fight uh, for a fair minimum wage, fight for 15. Bowing out of the fight. It's a pretty uh, interesting move by McDonald's. Even more interesting was their statement of, um, I'm not going to quote quote them but essentially that you know um all segments of society need to move up and that it need you know the wage now needs to move up and stuff it's like they've taken a different position and um the fight for 15 and just the 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 theater that surrounds it has always been really interesting to me because folks i'm all about people getting paid more money that's it i don't care if a guy that was making eight dollars an hour starts getting paid 15 but what they've done is they've so selectively catered this thing so that the haves and the haves nots are fighting each other but the haves really don't have that much because realistically if the minimum wage had been keeping up either a with the 
production values of this country or B, with inflation. The, the wage would be much higher. But guess what even, is even more criminal? All of our wages would be much higher. Mm-hmm. That's the real joke. But we're, here we're dogging on people to get $15 an hour. I mean, God bless them. You yeah. know? And I say organize and, and get, get your stuff together and then you know fight and get a better wage. That's what it's all about. That's well, America. Well, this fight began about, this specific fight began, I want to say about six years ago, Ryan. Uh, and it started here in, in Chicago with a fight for 15. There were uh, protests and they, they intentionally... Uh, focused on McDonald's. I guess they figured that was, what, the greatest, biggest symbol of inequity and unfairness. Oh, they, yeah. They, they Everybody right. knows big, big dollar company. It's McDonald's iconic brand. I mean, um, that's that's definitely, you want to go, if you're going to have a cause and you need a uh, a bad guy mm. that, I mean, you can't miss those golden arches, man. <laughs> well, well, when uh, when Steve comes on, we're going to be talking about, Steve Lester comes on, we're talking about the unionizing uh, uh, professionals like orchestra members and uh, why they, they need a, a collective bargaining uh, system. When you look at the fight to organize McDonald's, how does that relate to some of your workers who are, have been in a union for a while, make more than minimum wage, have better... Uh, you know, salaries and benefits uh, than most minimum wage. Why is that a fight for a higher minimum wage of significant uh, to your uh, members? Well, I mean, it's all about the, the integrity of people and having respect. I mean, realistically, I mean, you can't. I just read this re- really interesting thing. There's a guy who's got makes 61000 a year and he breaks down like, you know, what his rent is and all that. And he can't save any money on sixty one grand a year. And then we're talking about food. And I just I, I'm proud of workers in general. I don't care if you flip burgers or you fix trucks. It doesn't matter to me. It's it's about people and people being people and being good people to each other. And, and you know, if those people are going to uh, rise up and do that, we will fully support that. I mean, like we're all about that because it, it, it helps society as a whole. I mean, it's one of those things where when these people are making more money, there's more money going into the local economy. You know, that's the that's another big thing when you talk about low wages or suppressed wages or wealth inequality. Here we all are. The big question, how are we going to pay for stuff? What are going to be the taxes? What are going to be the taxes? Well, let's talk about taxes. If everybody got a raise, wouldn't the tax revenue increase? Makes sense to me, doesn't it? And in, in on a broad sense, we look at all the suppressed wages over the years, and we look at these conundrums like, oh man, you know, we gotta we gotta pay for the pensions, or we gotta pay for this, or we gotta pay for that. Well, middle class folks, how are you gonna handle it? And I'm like, wait a minute, but Amazon didn't pay any in tax. They got a rebate, hundred and twenty nine million dollar rebate. That that that's just amazing, folks. And we're all sitting here fighting with each other over stuff. I'm sorry, I don't buy it. All right, when you see this overall fight that you uh, just talked about, Ryan Kelly, do you have a sense that the more progressive forces? are uh, advancing or do you think they're losing? You know, when you see the, the, the tenor and the tone of, of how this issue that you just, this inequity uh, that you just articulated plays out uh, on the political front, what's your sense of things? You think that the labor movement and the, uh, the, the higher minimum wage movement, et cetera, the, is advancing or do you think it's... Uh, I think it is advance, advancing whether companies are just turning around and beginning to roll out, you know, uh, wages wage initiatives on their own i think uh but whenever you see a company like mcdonald's all of a sudden change their position like that the first thing i ask why why are why did their position change when they've been such a staunch advocate against it and you got to ask yourself why that's going on and i 
I have my suspicions on what they are. Um, what, what are they? What do you, well, you know, I just don't think it's, I think uh, if you look at unions right now, I'm proud of this guy over here, Steve, because uh, we've had more strikes, just unions in general, recently in the last like four or five years than we've had like, you know, there's generally I would call labor peace for a long time. You get a strike here and there, but people are striking. Mm-hmm. And people are organizing, and they're organizing unions. And I think the powers that be are starting to go, oh, hold on a minute. <laughs> These people are mad. People are mad. Their health insurance keeps going up. Their their wages aren't increasing. I mean, it's tough. It's tough to live. It's not a good time to be living. It's a fight. And so I think the powers that be are starting to like, oh, man, if we don't get on the right side of this thing, you know, who's going to be showing up at my house with pitchforks and, and, you know, we could go back to that sort of time. I don't want to go to that time. I have young kids. I don't want my kids to grow up in that. But when you suppress people for too long, people rise up and that's what happens. So I think there's a little bit of that uh, confusion there. <laughs> well, I, I, I tell you what, when I saw this, uh, Ryan, when I saw this headline, I saw this McDonald's uh, story, I, I agree with you that some fundamental change. McDonald's has said, you know what? We're tired of being the symbol and the target of this. Mm-hmm. We're dropping out of this fight. And, right. uh, and so go identify. And now well, the issue will be, will they recognize and allow and encourage, or not encourage, they'll never encourage uh, their workers to form a unions or collective bargaining. If they voluntarily, recon- voluntarily recognize them? Yes. Right. I'd be interested to see what they would do there. Um, but... I don't necessarily think because they're changing their wage initiative or their position on wages that they're going to be union friendly now. I don't think that's going to be I don't think that's a reasonable outlook, but you never know. We'll see. And, you know, they can put their money where their mouth is. And if those people begin to organize, that's when you really start seeing as you've been through, you start seeing how things go. They can go really nice or they can go not so nice. Uh, So it, it remains to be seen. But. You know, interestingly enough, you see people, another thing too, you know, McDonald's has been like the face of this automated, you know, service, uh, you know, thing. And there's always been this fight like, oh, well, well, then they'll just have, you know, electronic cashiers. Folks, we got them in all the McDonald's now. I don't use them. I suggest you don't use them because again, look at your fellow man, give that guy a job. Don't take that away. But the other thing is this, folks, we have people in our union that put spaceships in outer space. We have, uh... Uh, people that build super precision stuff that's like down to thousands of an inch, smaller than a hair, a fraction of a hair. And you're telling me that they can't automate the entire McDonald's? We're talking about the person taking the order. I'm talking about the whole operation. The fact is the technology is there to do that. They haven't done it yet. And they could have done it. They got the money to do it. So why don't they do it? Because it's better to keep us arguing against each other on this thing. You know what, McDonald's? Automate a whole store, you know, and see how many people start going there because I believe in the human condition. I believe in human interaction and I want to give an order to somebody. I'm not an expert at entering an order and quickly. Am I going to fumble around with a screen, a touch screen, or am I just going to give someone an order and give that person a job? Come on now. I mean, uh, it's common Kelly, sense. Uh, speaking, <laughs> you should see me when CBS uh, tried to, they, they were, they were uh, phasing out cashiers. This is something, one of my favorite topics. And somehow or other, they decided it was a good idea to self-checkout, which I, I am of the older persuasion, as everybody knows. So it's like, I'm not really like just, I'm not like Miles here, who just 
takes to uh, computers just naturally because that's what he's grown up with. So I'm like, I'm, it's my millennial brother. Yeah, he, and so I would. We're coming for you, Ben. Yeah, you guys are coming for me. Oh, do I know that the millennial? They still make fun of my AOL account. But anyway, oh man, um, dial up too. So <laughs> I got rid of it, but that had nothing to do with me. Actually, AOL got it. The point is, is uh, they finally CVS phased out uh, the um, automated uh, do-it-yourself checkout line because mm-hmm. first of all people had so many questions right. they had to engage with a human being to answer the question mm-hmm. and this is a fundamental thing that is that uh, i think that uh, uh i see this attitude all the time i talked about this the other day it was a story in the in the tribune and they were talking about um uh, amazon coming to these stores where there'd be no checkout lines mm-hmm. you could just walk, walk in, in with and your walk app out. and walk out and they get and they said they were going to do away with the, what do they say, D? Mind-numbing jobs that of uh, the checkout. I'm like, mind-numbing? They turn these people into drones and stuff. And my attitude is that the person at the checkout line is sometimes like the most helpful person that you meet in a store. Or it's a contact in a store. You know, I, I think part of the reason box stores are failing is just that lack of human interaction i remember i'm I'm just old enough to remember places like like service merchandise and like you go to like sears and the sears guy was like a neighborhood guy the the guy in the appliance department and this guy could tell you like the bells and whistles he knew these products in and out i went to a place to buy a printer with my wife a couple years ago and there's a young kid in there and i'm like so this is kind of what we're looking for you know we're okay with kind of an off-brand you know um, we need this level of functionality can you tell me about some of these products here? And the kid's like, well, that one's on sale. I'm like, I'm not looking for the sale <laughs> item. I'm looking, yeah. tell me about these products. And I realize he doesn't know anything about these products. And that frankly sucks. Uh, I, I don't like that. I like people that can tell me about stuff, ergonomics, you know, like, oh yeah, man, this is the one, this is like the, you know, the silent missile, this thing's awesome, great functionality, great price, et cetera, et cetera. You had that guy. And that was a guy that could support his family typically on that job. Wage benefits included, things like that. You don't see that in places anymore. Yeah, this is obviously the, the points you're raising are points that, uh, like Bernie Sanders has raised in the past. These are ideas I think that the Democratic Party should be championing as they head into this uh, election season against Donald Trump. Because I do think they're winning issues. I do think they relate and connect mm-hmm. uh, with people. Another point you raised uh, in passing, I wrote it down: health insurance, mm. and. Um, it's the one we, we. It's coming. There's, there's gonna. Yeah. You, we talk about pitchforks, and you talk about. Something needs to be done with health insurance, and I'm tired of the narrative that goes down, you know, well, you got to give people an incentive to work, you know, if you just give away health care, people aren't going to do anything. Hello, people in Canada work. They don't have this problem, and I don't want to hear about the service. Our international has, we we are in Canada, and it's so amazing when I'm down in like Washington, D.C. or something like that, and I'm with guys from Canada, and um, we're talking about contract negotiations. And they don't negotiate health insurance. It's just a non-item. I'm like, wow, health insurance is a huge sticking item in contract negotiations now. It's like one of the biggest things. And it's just like, it's it blows my mind because it's such a topic. We go, we, we take training on just that. I was a licensed insurance broker at this state in the state at one time. I know a lot about insurance and it blows my mind that it's such a sticking point. Too often we're seeing people's um, and if if they are even getting wage increases, it's being eaten up by their by their insurance, their ever increasing insurance costs. So, folks, I don't know what the hell is going on there, but they need to do something because I mean, our quality of care is not top notch, our billing is outrageous, and 
is this the insurance company's part fault? Is it the hospital's fault on how they bill us? I don't know, but I know it's not working Joe's fault. But we're footing the bill for this crap, and it's it's just getting I'm it's getting old. Well, uh, in the aftermath of his quote unquote victory uh, in the Mueller report, which I'm not sure is a victory at all, uh, Donald Trump feeling so uh, full of himself advocated that he was going to join uh, the the suit against Obamacare to try to completely eradicate Obamacare. Uh, take away uh, the, uh, the 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 rights people have for insurance, even if they have a pre-existing condition, which I thought was a fundamental fight that uh, everybody uh, agreed to, but apparently not. Tell me, Ryan Kelly, please explain to me uh, how the 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 one of the largest political parties in the United States, one of the two largest political parties in our two-party system, thinks that they can go into an election cycle. Uh, pledging to eradicate whatever health care we have for tens of millions of people. Well, um, ACA is an interesting topic. Firstly, um, I'm not very happy with the ACA, but I'll explain why. Because I don't think it's a really good option. These plans, when you break into the plan designs, are very expensive. And you know, you look at the out-of-pocket maximums or, or what they cover. The coverage is not as, as as good as what you'd get through like a multi-employer fund. And additionally, the out-of-pocket, ex- I mean, you're talking like deductibles and like ten, fifteen thousand dollars on some of these. Who can afford that? Yeah. Who can afford that? So, I mean, I think in spirit, you know, because this goes back to even back when I was living in Massachusetts, folks. This is, uh, you know, a guy named Ted Kennedy was still alive, and there was we had Mass Health, which they called Romney Care at the time. Correct, a Republican came up with this. The governor and of Massachusetts. That's right. Then Mitt Romney, now that, senator from Utah. That's right. Yeah. How about that, huh? Mm-hmm. Um, so he. <laughs> how did that work? Yeah. I, well, I won't go in. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, but you look at it. The, the system in Massachusetts was kind of the model. The system in Massachusetts, folks, it worked. And Boston people aren't pushovers. They, they don't like like free giveaways, but there's common sense people too. They're like, well, you got to have health insurance, kid. Yeah. <laughs> you got to have health insurance because it's just, you know, otherwise we're going to have a bunch of unhealthy people walking around. We don't want that, yeah. you know. So the system there worked, but when it went national and, the, you know, what, what was introduced is not what we got. Yeah. And so um, it's interesting to see, it's gonna be interesting to see, but I want something done about that. Absolutely, something has to be done, but but just yeah. to get rid of it and without having anything there to there's replace it. There's gonna have it. to be a backup of some sort. Ha- now, mean. when you talk to uh, members of your union, I know there's a uh, diversity of opinion in any union, and sure. yours is no different, but is there just sort of a general sense that you get of what people would like, what they like, you know, like what Bernie, uh, Medicare for all, where you just extend uh, that kind of uh, coverage that uh, seniors get or should get. Mm-hmm. They don't completely get it. That's a whole other story. But uh, Or do you think that people, when you talk to your uh, your members, are they more, you know, do they want kind of what we have now, a smorgasbord? Some people are covered by their uh, mm-hmm. job. Some people are covered by Obamacare. What's, what's your sense of how they... Uh, I think there's a lot of varying opinions on it, but, I mean, I, I, I think people want an answer. Um, but, I mean, we got the, we've got guys that are like, you know, no way. You can't give away health insurance. you got to work to get that you know there are guys like that and then there are people on the the other side of the spectrum that are like well it makes total sense to have that um i just look at it from a nuts and bolts perspective i mean it's interesting though i'll tell you this so when you have a guy like yourself now you get how old are your kids uh they're uh 20s i think about it like uh 20s and uh, early 30s so what happens when up there what happens when they turn 26 
Oh, yeah. I've been that wrong with Boom. many kids. And I got yeah. a lot of guys that used to take these hard yeah. positions on health insurance, and now their kids are growing up, and their kids got to get insurance, and the job market's terrible, and there's no fringe benefits and all this stuff. And they're like, wow, my kid doesn't have insurance. He's got a full-time job, but, he, but he's got no insurance. What are we going to do? I'm like, wow, that, that Medicare for All sounds pretty good now, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's funny when you say that. Yeah. Yeah. Get that kid out of my basement. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. These uh, kids can't get out. They got to keep living off your insurance because your generation has a lot of these negotiations. Negotiated yeah. benefits. A lot of the younger kids don't have that, and it's a real problem. Um, but something needs to be done. Yeah, and I think it's one of those things where if we had Medicare for all or, or a single payer something, I don't know what you want to call it. I'm not aligning with whatever terminology they're using, but just the idea that you can walk in a hospital and get fixed. Yeah. If the light switch went off tomorrow, I think all the all the people would be arguing, be arguing. The light switch would go on, and then everybody would be like, "Well." What the hell are we arguing over anyway? Absolutely. You know, I, I, by the way, I've heard a, a variation of what you just uh, uh, expressed there, Ryan, from people who tell me, you have to have a job before you get health insurance, which is funny. They say that until they lose their job. Yeah. Exactly. And then, wait, whoa. It's yeah. like, well, things just change, yeah. you know? And what happened in 08, 09 when everybody lost jobs, yeah. you know? But see, but you, you said it earlier. They, you can pick I'll just point out that you, a lot of union members had protections in those cases, so... Lucky those union members. Yes. Uh, I know some union members who some don't have protection. Some, some unions. Some union, I should clarify. Yes. The, the key word in that sentence is uh, some. Anyway, Ryan Kelly is with me in the studio. Uh, we've been talking about all the issues today. Got Steve Lester from the Chicago Symphony Orchestra standing by. I think it'd be a good idea to bring him into the conversation and hear what's happening with that strike now entering. I believe he said is his 18th day. So we'll be back with Steve Lester and Ryan Kelly after this. Hey there, producer Dennis here. Thanks for finding and listening to the brand new Ben Jarofsky Show. All right, so here's how this works. The Ben Jarofsky Show live streams on the Chicago Sun-Times YouTube channel Tuesday through Friday, 1 until 3 p.m. Once the show is over, you can listen to the replay on our YouTube channel or we throw it online for you to download by 4 p.m. Where can you download the Ben Jarofsky Show, you may be asking yourself? Well, you may be asking yourself a fantastic question. You can find previous Ben Jarofsky shows and guest interviews through several outlets. The Chicago Sun-Times Online, chicago.suntimes.com. The Chicago Reader Online, chicagoreader.com. And wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, pick one. Just search for the Ben Jarofsky Show. J-O-R-A. V is in victory, S-K-Y. So, let's recap. Tuesday through Friday, 1 until 3 p.m., live streamed on the Chicago Sun-Times YouTube channel and downloadable by 4 at chicago.suntimes.com, chicagoreader.com, and wherever else you listen to your favorite podcast. Yes, the Ben Jarofsky Show is back. We're live and downloaded. Tell your friends and enjoy the rest of the show. break over welcome back to the ben jarofsky show live from the chicago sun times yes indeed we are live from the chicago sun times ryan kelly union man is sticking around as we bring on steve lester uh with the chicago symphony orchestra very good sport to come here not only uh show up but show up early steve thank you for showing up early thank you for being here thanks 
And uh, all right, now, uh, Steve Lester, the, I should say, the, the striking Chicago Symphony Orchestra. That's right. The orchestra's been on strike for how many days now? 18 days. We're in our 18th day now. And um, all right, so much to talk about, so much to unpack, just the notion that the Chicago Symphony Orchestra has a union. Let's just talk about that a, sure. a bit. Yeah, we've been unionized for over 100 years. Okay. Outstanding. I'm just so, hundred years. Yeah. Wow. Um, we have a <laughs> strong, strong history of union representation. Our, our union is the Chicago Federation of Musicians, which is um, um, affiliated with the American Federation of Musicians, and that's part of the AFL-CIO. So you're part of the Chicago Federation of Labor. Yep, absolutely. Bob Ryder has been at our rallies. He's been a great, great supporter. Superhero, man. Bob Ryder's been a great supporter. <laughs> Me too. Steve Lester. <laughs> absolutely. Uh, and uh, so, okay, talk just a little bit about that, the notion, 100 years, the notion uh, that uh, members of a symphony orchestra would want or need to be in a union. Well, you know, this is it's the same issues everywhere. You know, we do work together on stage. We're different instruments, we might play different notes, but we all work together. Working together, we have to um, improve our conditions collectively, and the union has been there for us forever to do that. You know, we've had some um, disagreements in the past. We had a strike in 1991, we had a one-day strike in 2012. So it's, you know, we've had issues in the past. You had a, uh, a one-day strike, did you say, in 2012? Yes, 2012. And what was the strike in 1991? That was about health insurance. <laughs> about health insurance. How about that, huh? Yeah. How about that? And uh, so is there an attempt, before, is there an attempt uh, by the people who run orchestras to say, hey, listen, uh, Steve Lester, you're a professional, uh, you're an artist, uh, you know, what do you need a union for? You don't need a union, you're, you should. Uh, yeah, and it's, it's even, and sometimes a little more insidious than that. They don't even say we're professionals, they just say, well, you're part of our family. Okay. <laughs> right. And, and, and That's daddy part said, of the family that you want to get health insurance. Right. That part of the family. Right. And, and daddy says it's maybe not time for a raise or, <laughs> or maybe time to pay more in your health insurance. Yes. You know, it's, it's it, it, the essence of our union activity mm -hmm. has been to develop and ensure and secure our professional status as musicians. You know, in the 50s, the symphony season was 28 weeks long. The principal violist sold uh, life insurance. The oboe player, I mean the English horn player, had a kennel. <laughs> they had all these other sidelights. These fantastic musicians had to have other sidelights in order to make a living. In order to keep the lights on. Exactly. So we had, you know, the union uh, went to work, uh, the members of the orchestra went to work and organized even stronger within the union to bargain for themselves and try to become professionals with a 52-week contract, with health insurance, and a pension. All right. And so uh, you have that contract. That contract expired? Is is that what happened yes. here? Okay. We've been negotiating for 11 months. Mm -hmm. This isn't just a sudden thing. That's and important to know yeah. because people don't know. They just think, oh, they just, they, they have, I often think people think, oh, they're on strike, so they just tried to get a deal. No, you guys have been doing your due diligence. Right. Absolutely. Right. We, and, we've, we've uh, our contract expired September 17th of 2018. We extended it uh, until March 10th of this year because uh, two reasons. We needed to study pension issues. I know more about 
more about pensions than I ever wanted to know. Do you know more about pensions than you know about Mozart? Uh, <laughs> well, maybe, maybe not quite. Maybe but. not as much. Uh, <laughs> all right, so let's get at it. Uh, what uh, are the issues that just finally forced the strike up? Obviously, pensions. We'll talk about right. that. Okay, so, you know, these are economic issues, pension and salary. But what is the meaning of these economic issues? For us, it's to ensure our new members and the members who haven't even been hired yet that they have a quality of life that we have. You know, uh, Ryan, you were talking about how some of the, uh, the corporations don't extend benefits to their new hires. Nope. You know, phase and, uh, out or freeze, they like to call it. Yeah, that. exactly. Yeah. And that's what we're facing here. You know, it's going to create a system where our new hires are not going to have the benefits, the security, and maybe not feel the commitment that we all felt. You know, I started 40-some-odd years ago in this orchestra, and I was very conscious of the fact that I'm making a commitment for life. They're making a commitment to me. That was That's largely because of right. our strong union contract. And so what happened uh, in September of 2018, or what has been going on, uh, what, what did the uh, people who run the Chicago Symphony Orchestra essentially tell you and your uh, brothers and sisters in the, the union about how things are going to change? Okay, so we have uh, a defined benefit pension plan. Mm -hmm. And it's been okay. It's been working well. There are times because of our government that the regulations change. There are times because of the economy um, that the conditions change and it may be more difficult to fund. But these aren't impossible problems to overcome. Many people do overcome them. So they've told us basically you got to get rid of that and we'll go to a savings plan where there is no guarantee. So all the risk in your pension benefit or your retirement benefit is borne by the musician and not by the association. So you have been paying, I presume your pension plan works the way uh, Ryan's members does, uh, who work for the city or the state, uh, that every check that you pay, there's money deducted that is contributed to your pension? Is well, that how it works? Not directly, uh, though it is deferred compensation, but it's done at the contract negotiations in the sense that they come with, you know, here's enough Here's here's the the dollar amount that we can give you in benefits, mm -hmm. and you you know we end argue about is it going to be salary, is it going to be pension, is it going to be health care? Right. So you have more like a Taft Hartley plan. So it's like right. he pays, uh, you know, they have like a total package. Like you know, uh, this guy costs fifty dollars. You know, how much of it's going to be wages? So you're looking at a number, and they're giving them a number, and they're probably just saying, you know. Well, fight over where you want to. Do you want to put money in wages, or do you want to increase your pension contribution? Right. Yeah, gotcha. So, so it doesn't come out of our check every week, but that doesn't mean we don't contribute. I hear you. And so, uh, there's. So, I presume that you've been. You said you've been with the symphony for 41 years. Yep. Uh, if my math is correct, and I'm not that good in math, that means you started. Uh, this is always dangerous when I do this. 1978. Very. I just. I. I swear to God, I was yeah, just yeah. there. But you helped me out. Should have seen the faces, folks. Uh, ben, I know smoke's doing the coming math. out of Ben's ears right now. <laughs> so 1978. So what happens to all that money uh, that uh, you've been accumulating in your pension fund uh, since 1978? Well, you know, thank goodness federal law requires that those accrued benefits, those benefits that we've all earned, have to be paid out. So my pension is fairly secure. Uh. But we're talking about the young kids yeah, right. and the new new hires. -tier. Uh, exactly. So the new uh, double bass player who's coming out of Northwestern right now uh, to take your gig when you retire, right. uh, he or she 
uh, will not. So they're going to keep let you keep your pension benefits. Right. But uh, the new kid that comes in, the, sorry. The millennial double base player. The, <laughs> the millennial double place player is going to go in with uh, a mountain of student loan debt. And, yep. and he's not even going to have the... the um, the dignity to have a retirement plan that's a real retirement plan because folks a 401k is not a retirement no, plan exactly exactly uh and so uh, so you're fighting for them you're fighting exactly. for some kid who's going to replace you well you know generations of musicians have built this orchestra to what it is and we don't want to see it just dissipated by a bad decision and you know we don't want our model to be like the corporate model where somebody might work with us for four or five years and then go someplace else. Yeah. We want the, that, that continuity, which is so important to develop, you know, passing down. This sounds kind of corny, but, you know, the style, the approach to music making, the history with all those great artists and conductors, that's something you just can't throw away. All right, Steve. Now, I'm going to... Uh, everybody knows I'm very sympathetic to uh, unions and workers and pensions, etc. I'm on from the lefty side of the p- persuasion. I'm now going to pretend I work for Crane Chicago Business. <laughs> all right, I'm going to try to put my Crane Chicago. Harumph. Okay. Oh boy. Uh, <laughs> Crane wow. Chicago. Actually, business. they've been somewhat supportive. Is so. that right? Yeah. <laughs> okay, take it back. Sorry, Crane. Wow, what's going on in the world? Throw you under the likes plan. minimum wage. Yeah. Crane's is <laughs> supporting st- striking or- or- orchestra people. I think that's insane. I know the world is not what I thought it was. Okay. Okay, but uh, I'll just p- pretend I'm Donald Trump or something. But the point is, is uh, what typically is done, uh, they'll say to you, it's like, well, you know, the average Joe, uh, Steve Lester, does not get uh, a defined benefits pension. So you're getting something that the average Joe uh, is not getting. So why makes you so special that you should get something that, wait, Ben doesn't get? I don't even have yeah. that. No, we understand that. And, and our answer to that is, look, what kind of an orchestra do you want? Do you want an orchestra of people committed to Chicago like we were, or do you want an orchestra of, frankly, transient musicians Mm -hmm. who are just chasing the benefits and the dollars and whatever experience they can? We think the the commitment is the way forward. And uh, so you guys went to to strike over this, and do you feel as like they can afford it? Do you think that uh, the Chicago Symphony Orchestra can afford it? Yeah, we've actually done... (laughs) You know, like five months of studies <laughs> on pensions. Strategic resources. <laughs> well, yeah, we've, we've <laughs> paid a lot to actuaries, that's yep. for sure. And we've, we have uh, come up with a plan that actually costs less than their D.C. plan and that they have just ideologically rejected. They're not interested. When you say ideologically rejected, what are you getting at? Well, I mean, if they're really interested in the money side of things and how much it costs, they should look at our plan and really try to engage it and assess it. If there's something they don't like, they should counter. But we made a very significant uh, compromise a week ago Saturday, across the table, and we asked them to engage in that, that compromise, and they just flat out rejected it. They just said outright blank. So they're not, not even moving at all? Like, they're just, no. Uh, what do you think their goal is? Uh, well, I would like to think that they're just concerned about the money, but I think it's, I think they're concerned, you know, they, they want to sort of change the nature of our job and people should know, you know, our, our orchestra, we feel like we're Chicago's orchestra and, you know, we've had a great experience, frankly, on the picket line with all the tremendous support we've gotten from the labor unions, Teamsters, Chicago Federation of Labor, everybody's been out for us. 
and um, we've had artists from all over the world. We've had the San Francisco Symphony walk with us on the picket line. And, you know, we have a lot of strength and a lot of support. And I think, they, I think people understand that this is not, not just about the money. This is about what kind of an art form do you want to have. Yeah. Steve, uh, in the past, I don't want to put words in your mouth, so listen carefully what I'm about to say. But in the past, when I see a, a, a situation head to a strike, and, uh, and I see a, one side, particularly uh, on the management side, really digging in, then in my head, it's not about the money anymore. It's about breaking a union. Yeah. And I saw that happen in 2012 uh, here in the city of Chicago with the teachers. It was so obvious to me that the powers that be in this city, in this state, were uh, really determined to destroy the teachers' union. It was more, it was, that, was their, that was what they really wanted to do. And the, and the issue of dollars and cents was just like a, a, a tool they used. Do you think... That's what the people who run the Chicago Symphony Orchestra are all about. Well, I sincerely hope not. I mean, I really don't know what's in the minds of, of the few board members who are controlling this particular process. We've had a long and, and wonderful relationship with many of the board members. You know, these are very, very generous and very uh, wonderful people. I'm concerned that maybe they don't understand what's going on. Uh, in their in our negotiations, so you know it's hard for me to uh, to tell you what their real strategy is. Do you think there's like a faction that's taken over and that's controlling well, the cer- process? Certainly, there is a small group of people uh, who do. Yeah. So you you know you've seen I see this in strikes sometimes when they hit or well striking situations, but in labor relations when you're negotiating and the company will bring in like you know their 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 crack team of like negotiators and you know you have no access to the leadership and and basically you don't know of what's going on in that room is being represented to to the leaders it's kind of like a one big gaslight and it's uh it's really unfortunate when that happens and you guys did the right thing by the way i mean that's that's awesome you guys are out there because you know what you guys especially with music you guys are literally the creators Mm -hmm. You, you, you create, you know, you are the first consideration and, you know, they come in and it's an art form and you are Chicago's orchestra, just like the Boston has Boston pops. And like, you know, each city has its own flavor and you, you know, the, the orchestra is such an important part. It's like, a, you Absolutely. know, the Chicago orchestra, yeah. the New York orchestra, like, you know, yep. they, they're all different and they got a different feel to them. We and, reflect our communities. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about the negotiators they brought in. Have they brought in outside negotiators? Sometimes when things get really rough, you can tell by the people yep. uh, that are brought in and their reputations well, for breaking unions. And this wasn't something that, that just happened this year or last year. This has been in the works for years because um, right at the 2012 negotiations, they had uh, hired an attorney who was used by United Airlines back in 2004 to do the deal on the uh, pilots, flight attendants, and mechanics. So that told us a lot right mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. Oh, my goodness. All right. Uh, God bless you, by the way. Uh, in the studio is <laughs> I may know who that person is. Uh, it, in the studio with me is uh, Ryan Kelly and Steve Lester. Steve Lester is with the Chicago Symphony Orchestra. We're talking about their 18-day strike. Uh, Steve has been with the orchestra for 41 years. So if you do the math at home, 1978, everybody uh, plays double bass uh, for the Chicago Symphony Orchestra. Um, I uh, am a big advocate when it comes to strikes of getting uh, allies in the political world to come in and just say, hey, 
clean this up because the last thing we need is our orchestra on strike right. particularly where supposedly you know bringing tourists to town yeah. you know promoting chicago as a place that everybody yeah. wants to come to we've got an Absolutely. international you know well-known renowned uh, george schulte used to be the conductor for crying out loud it. all right i mean come on this is chicago uh have you have you had any allies in the political oh yeah 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 we've we've had uh uh, many of the uh, Democratic Illinois Congress congressmen come, mm-hmm. the congressional delegation, um, Bobby Rush, Danny Davis, Jan Schakowsky, Robin Kelly, um, Raja. Krista Morty. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that uh, was expert. Eighth uh, congressional district. Eighth congressional district, yes. And um, uh, Brad Schneider and um, Sean Caston. We've also had uh, Dick Durbin, mm-hmm. Senator Durbin. That was they were all fantastic. Mm-hmm. And you know, I've I've said this um, publicly, uh, and it bears repeating that the words of support, the words of understanding, and um, you know, describing our what our purpose is, that these people, and also people in the labor unions, and people that write letters to us, we've never heard those words from our board or from our staff. And, you know, it lets us kind of put things in perspective, and it makes us really realize we are Chicago's orchestra. Uh, any, what about any of the mayor? I know Tony Preckwinkle was on the... Yep. Uh, yep. Has Mayor Rom weighed in at all? Uh, no. Hmm. Hold on. I'm going to... I think he's hiding under the tape. <laughs> Come on, Mayor Rom, Get out! He said he's going to run through the tape before he's uh, done in office. Come on! It's a strike! Interestingly enough, I mean, I'm not surprised <laughs> that you are getting the support from those individuals, and I would expect that, considering their platforms for advocacy. But interestingly enough, you know, what about the business community? Because they're probably large consumers of uh, your your product, right. and you know, it, what have they what have they said about this? I mean, we said cranes, but tell me about that. That's well, interesting. You know, uh, when you when you talk about the impact of the symphony or the orchestra, you know, we are the sort of ambassadors. We travel every year for three or four weeks in some foreign countries or around the United States. And in many of those situations, we are representing through sponsorships or through, um, you know, just sort of uh, marketing uh, initiatives, these uh, companies, you know, Illinois Toolworks and some of the companies of this area. And we can't imagine that um, this isn't a negative thing for them. We're not trying to hurt them by any means. We appreciate their support. And we believe that we're very much a part of of their success in bringing, you know, the quality of life in Chicago uh, to a, a level where it's attractive for people and for businesses. That's Steve Lester from the Chicago Symphony Orchestra, Ryan Kelly in the studio with me. We'll be right back after this. Hey there, producer Dennis here. Thanks for finding and listening to the brand new Ben Jarofsky Show. All right, so here's how this works. The Ben Jarofsky Show live streams on the Chicago Sun-Times YouTube channel Tuesday through Friday, 1 until 3 p.m. Once the show is over, you can listen to the replay on our YouTube channel, or we throw it online for you to download by 4 p.m. 
Where can you download The Ben Jarofsky Show, you may be asking yourself? Well, you may be asking yourself a fantastic question. You can find previous Ben Jarofsky shows and guest interviews through several outlets. The Chicago Sun-Times Online, chicago.suntimes.com. The Chicago Reader Online, chicagoreader.com. And wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, pick one. Just search for The Ben Jarofsky Show, J-O-R-A, V as in victory, S-K-Y. So let's recap. Tuesday through Friday, 1 until 3 p.m., live streamed on the Chicago Sun-Times YouTube channel and downloadable by 4 at chicago.suntimes.com, chicagoreader.com, and wherever else you listen to your favorite podcast. Yes, The Ben Jarofsky Show is back. We're live and downloaded. Tell your friends and enjoy the rest of the show. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show. Mr. Jarofsky. <laughs> Man, take us home. Oh, I love that song. You know, Steve Lester, he plays double bass, but he said, you know, I see that keyboard there. I'm going to play some, <laughs> lay down a little track. That's Steve Lester, ladies and uh, gentlemen. Pride and joy. That. <clears throat> That's I'll not Steve <laughs> No. Man, the guy can play piano, double bass, cello. I didn't even get an explanation of the difference between double bass and the cello. We'll get to that later. What you got for me, D? All right, we have some updates here before we uh, ride off into the sunset. First, some local updates. We have some national updates as well here. First, some local updates. We have some endorsements to talk about. The following comes from the political bulldogs over at Illinois Politico. Yeah, throw another one in the pile. 2018 or 2019 Chicago mayoral <laughs> candidate Lori Lightfoot has yeah. picked up another endorsement. This one comes from the 11th District State Rep Ann Williams. She Ann announced Williams, that she okay. will be endorsing Lori Lightfoot. She's awesome. She's yeah. a good lady. Yes, and for 10 trivia points, who do you know is represented by Ann Williams? Uh, 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 habit, habit, uh, <laughs> Me! Oh! <laughs> Yeah. Oh, anyway, boy. Go ahead, <laughs> All right. No well, trivia points for you. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm throwing one back at you. The 44th Ward Alderman. Ben, real quick, who's the 44th Ward Alderman? Come on, boy. Give me the ball. Tommy Tunney. There you go. Tom <laughs> Tunney has announced that uh, he will be endorsing Michael Negron for Ben's uh, Ben's Ward, the 47th Ward He's Alderman. endorsing Michael Negron against Matt Martin. All right. And one of our uh, Chicago Treasurer candidates. <laughs> has been endorsed. Yes, people, it is time for a 2019 Chicago Treasurer candidate update. This is a 2019 Chicago Treasurer candidate update. That's right. Oh, wait for it. Wait for it. Wait for it. Nice. <laughs> it there sounds like Pink Floyd. There we go. Steve Lester, a huge fan of Pink Floyd. Oh, all right. We'll break out the bong later. All right. Yes, our treasurer's race is a runoff yeah. between the current but soon-to-be former 47th Ward Alderman Amea Pawar and state rep Melissa Conyers-Irvin. Mm-hmm. Two big endorsement for Conyers-Irvin today. Right. Okay. The first comes from the former candidate for governor, one Chris Kennedy. Oh, Chris Kennedy weighing in here. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. and Rod the Joy in the studio just the other day. Go check out that interview, people, after this show today. Uh, you can find it there, uh, chicago.suntime slash Jarofsky. Find it at chicagoreader.com as well. Uh, and the other endorsement for Melissa Conyers, Irvin, comes from an actual former governor. That's right, Pat Quinn. Pat? Our good friend Patrick Quinn? Our good friend Pat Quinn, Mr. Clipboard himself. <laughs> 
Hey, is he, I'll bet you he'll show up on your picket line because sure. uh, when we were having our own uh, issues at the uh, Reader, we were uh, forming our union and uh, negotiating. Pat Quinn showed up with Bob Ryder, by the way. Ryder was right. right there with us. All right, and we have one, of <laughs> one more update. The following comes from CNN. In an exclusive interview with CNN and Jim Acosta, Puerto Rico Governor Ricardo Rosello said... He'll punch Donald Trump in the mouth. Oh, man. Get in line. Ah, here we go. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, if the bully gets uh, close, uh, <laughs> I'll punch the bully in the mouth. Hey. Wow. All right. Well, you know, didn't Joe Biden say he'd take him in the back? Oh, yeah. Yeah, Joe Biden. So <laughs> people are lining up. to This guy looks way younger than Joe Biden. Yeah. <laughs> Trump's worried about him. All right. Uh, Steve Lester in the studio and Ryan Kelly as well. We're talking about the strike, the Chicago Symphony Orchestra, and it's 18th day. Come on, Chicago Symphony Orchestra. Just settle this strike, all right? Jeez, come on. You should know better than that. That makes the city look bad. Uh, there was a, a good article by Howard Reich, March 26th in the Chicago Tribune. I urge everybody to check it out. Absolutely. Howard Reich's done a great job, in my humble opinion. Very supportive. Yep. Uh, my, my hat's off to Howard Reich at the Tribune yep. uh, for standing up, standing with the Chicago Symphony Orchestra. But he, he talked about, and I'm reading the lead here, uh, Steve, the standing room only crowd that packed Chicago Teachers Union headquarters on Monday evening came to hear something unusual. The musicians of the Chicago Symphony Orchestra in exile you gave a, a performance uh in uh free performance yes. at uh the chicago teachers union's headquarters here in the, the right. west side uh talk about that yeah we, we've decided to uh initiate a series of uh concerts um from our heart to the people of chicago and they're chamber concerts uh all over the city and they're also uh weekly orchestra concerts and our last one last Monday was at the CTU Hall, which was a wonderful facility. We had a packed um, audience, and they just loved it. That's so, awesome. Uh, we we were very very happy to have that. It was a, you know, our regular full orchestra concert, and we're going to do the same um, type of thing, same concert, at uh, the Benito Juarez. Um, uh, performing High, Arts Center mm-hmm. in school. Pilsen. Yeah. And um, we're very excited about that. That's this coming Monday. And we're having, you know, another one the next Monday. And, you know, so we're, we'll be announcing those as we get the details uh, firmed up. You know, we're doing this by the sleeve of our pants, you know, day to day. So it's a... Uh, you know, I want to say something as a lifelong Chicagoan. Well, not lifelong. There's f- five years where I wasn't, but... You've been in there for 41 years. I'm 34 years old. And there's so many, as you're sitting next to me, I'm thinking back to just these memorable times I've seen this orchestra perform, either at Grant Park or like, you know, anywhere. Like, I was a guy out in the crowd, you know, a kid and and, and all that. And, And those are very, awesome memories so folks get out there and support these people and 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 management down there get your stuff together and get these people some dignity because you know what those are memories these are memory creators right right here and thank you thank Thank you you. thank you very much no i think it um i i agree with uh ryan on that part i remember when the hotel workers uh went on strike and my attitude was you know we're doing so much to try to promote chicago as this uh, international a city, a place that people would want to come to visit. And, you know, so, well, 
why would we have hotel workers on strike? Why would we tolerate? Yeah. Right. I mean, that's the heart of the tourist trade. And right. the same thing with the Chicago Symphony Orchestra. I mean, why would we allow the Chicago Symphony Orchestra uh, to reach this state? I, I know this is not something, Steve Lester, that you guys just did. Oh, well, let's go on strike. I mean, no. <laughs> I know there's a much a lot of discussion. And yeah, I mean, it's something we, it's our very, very last resort. And we felt there was no option because there was no movement, no real and understanding of our concerns. And that's what negotiation's about. You just try to understand each other's concerns. You know, there are different styles of negotiation, but when it comes down to it, listening is the most important thing. All right. Is there a, uh, a website or any uh, place that people can go to if they want to keep uh, assistance in any way or just, just stay abreast of this? Right. We, we have a website, uh, Musicians of the Chicago Symphony Orchestra, uh, dot com. We also have... Look for us on Facebook and uh, Twitter, and you know we have all the social media worked out. And uh, we'll also we haven't set it up yet. We're just in the process of setting up a um, a, a way for people to donate uh, because we've had so many people come to us, uh, and the San Francisco Symphony donated fifteen thousand dollars to the musicians of the CSO, so um, to support us in this strike. So we're we're set, we've set up a. a a fund, and we'll have information about that on that website very soon. All right, very good. And also, we're going to have a new mayor to the city of Chicago very soon, so maybe that will bring about some change as well. We hope so. More support. And uh, hey, we also have a Democratic governor, so uh, you know, there's a lot of people can weigh in and make a few phone calls right. uh, on behalf of Steve Lester and the other members of the Chicago Symphony Orchestra. I want to thank Steve Lester for coming in today. Ryan Kelly did a super job. Uh, he's got a, got a new career uh, as a radio <laughs> show talk to <laughs> podcast talk show host uh, and uh kathy cheney uh, earlier on the show and of course miles the editor the man the myth the legend he had went four for ten as he likes to point out this weekend should have had a homer it was a triple should run a little faster next time around the base pass mile <laughs> he's gonna rue the day he ever told me about that <laughs> and of course the man the myth the legend behind the boards oh yes the pride of joy of alton illinois wheeling and dealing and Ladies all love him for his body and his mind, Dr. D. Uh, that's not getting old yet, huh? Give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. See you tomorrow, everybody. Hey, everybody. Remember, the Ben Jarofsky Show is brought to you by unions. Quite a few of them, in fact. Big thank you to the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local 126 and District 8, the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9, and the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150. And, of course, today's Ben Jarofsky Show is brought to you by our good friends at the Chicago Federation of Labor.